call this uh, <coughs> Tuesday, February 6th, uh, special meeting of the uh, Appointments and Recommendation Committee to order. So we'll start with a uh, roll call. Councilmember Campos. Here. Vice Chair Duran. Here. And Chair McReynolds. Here. All members are present. Okay. Uh, public comments on items not on the agenda. Anybody uh, would like to speak on anything not on the agenda? Seeing none, we will move into item one, approval of minutes of the January 31st meeting. Uh, do I have a motion? I move to approve the minutes. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 All ayes, motion carries. Okay. Update of City Council protocols. Uh, so, he's leaving. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm like, he's leaving. And Mr. Chair, uh, uh, just a reminder to the public, all of the attachments are printed out on the back table. And the optional amendment table has been updated since our last meeting. Okay, so, uh, we're going to start with the uh, item C, the ethics policy draft. So this would be the, uh, based on the comments that we received at the last meeting, I believe this is the, uh, what staff would be looking for us to make a recommendation on. So I'll let uh, Mr. Hagelin, if you have anything uh, before we get into public comments and deliberation. We'll yeah, sure, I'll, um, thank you, Chair McReynolds. I'll just do a quick summary and I, Hopefully don't miss anything, but I'm certainly willing to answer questions if you have any. Just to let you know what we did, um, I did make in the statement of purpose, I did make some revisions for clarity. Uh, the, the former policy talked about, uh, it called it a code of ethics, but then it also had some conduct language in it which didn't seem to, to make sense, that statement of purpose. So I just tried to reword it in a way that kind of brought in both the ethics component and the conduct, which is what we're talking about in the, the enforcement piece. Um, based on Mr. Sirota's comments last week, I went through the, the prior version and um, added in, I think, most of the uh, responsibilities of public office which were in the former policy I did not add the the section about the mayor um, uh, enforcing these because um, I'm going to build that into the protocols in general I thought it made more sense to apply to the entire protocol instead of just having it here I didn't want to have a couple of places so that there was confusion or misunderstanding but it will be added into the, the um, general protocols um, I did make the clarifications that uh, that the council, uh, the committee recommended uh, or asked us to make um, last time, I, and then we also added um, uh, section four uh, under complaints and policy violations uh, regarding de-escalation and formal resolution. So it essentially um, encourages the council to take steps to de-escalate the behavior. Um, that could lead to a complaint uh, before a complaint is filed. So at the dais or whatever, it encourages them to take that action there. And then also consider addressing the complaint informally, if appropriate, in order to bring the named council member into compliance with this code. Uh, I also removed offending council member and um, referred to them as named council member. So I think that was uh, one of the concerns that were raised last week. And I'm available to answer any questions if there are, may have left some things out. 
I'll start with uh, Councilmember Duran. Yeah, thank you so much. You know, I, and I don't know how I missed this last time, but on item number nine, it says that um, council members should direct any concerns related to the behavior or work of a city employee to the city manager. It says council members should not reprimand employees directly, nor should they communicate their concerns publicly. So does that, does that mean that uh, council members should not uh, talk about uh, staff and, and their, um, their, their work or lack of or whatever? Is that, is that what that means? Well, I think directly it's, it would include reprimanding somebody for not doing their work or not doing it well. Um, I think that it gets a little grayer when you're talking about uh, deficiencies in a staff report, let's say, or in an analysis or something like that. But if the if the comment is more of a um, an action that should be corrected going forward, that should be directed to the city manager. I agreed. But um, so when I read this, my first thought was, you have a council person. He's got an audience, whether that be at a coffee shop or wherever, doesn't matter and all of a sudden they're talking about uh, the inefficiency of a, per a particular staff member or a per particular department, and they're talking about poorly about the, um, um, the, the work that they're doing. It, is that, does that mean that as well? Well, I think, this, I think that's why it talks about communicating their concerns publicly. I think the context is a public reprimand or a, a public... Okay. Uh, calling out because really the council members don't have any authority over staff that's reserved to the city manager so those comments as far as behavioral issues or whatever should it go to the city manager we can clarify it though if you'd like well i'm just thinking is that just from the dais or is it from any public place that they're in and it, it may not be a public meeting it just any may place. yeah because well, according I, to this it sounds like any, any as place. it says right now council members should direct any concerns to the city manager. So that doesn't say you can't talk about it. I think in the example you gave, it's just that you should direct your concerns on behavior at work to the city manager. And then it says council members should not reprimand employees directly, nor should they communicate their concerns publicly. So I think talking, for example, to the city manager, to another council member, or something like that wouldn't necessarily violate either of those, as long as you have concerns that you communicate to the city manager, if that makes sense. So it's okay for me to talk about somebody poorly in public as long as I communicate to the city manager? Well, publicly, I think it's also formally, like so from the dais, for example. So that should, a, be, that should be stated there. I'm, uh, we, I can clarify this. Yeah. To, to, I mean, it's not right that they would speak about, that any, anybody would speak about somebody publicly in a coffee shop setting or a restaurant or whatever else, but it's just not good. If you have concerns about um, the way an employee is handling things. I might understand why you might reference, refer to that to another council member or, yeah. or something like that. So yeah. sure, we can clarify that. Uh, and, and that's, yeah, I, I don't want to hold this up for clarifying that. I think we could just do that quickly, I feel like. Yeah, I'm done. Councilmember Compass. On item number six, Mr. Heglin. The council members should attempt to communicate questions, corrections, and or clarifications about reports requiring official action to staff prior to council meetings. The next sentence states clearly that early feedback will enable staff 
to address such questions before the meeting, resulting in a more efficient meeting discussion. Um, I have a hesitation on that only because sometimes the same questions or concerns that I have are the questions and concerns the public has. And if I'm addressing them with staff outside of the meeting, then the public will come wanting the same questions answered and not get an answer. So I, I wonder if it's better for us to communicate the questions so that they can include it in their answer, in their presentation at the meeting. Yeah, and I, um, I think the intent here is to encourage council members to give staff a heads up. Not that you can't ask the same questions in, in public. I know that I've personally had council members ask me questions and say, I'm going to ask this question at, at the meeting just so you're prepared and you can prepare a response. That's certainly okay, and I don't think anything in this section would prohibit you from doing that. Just really giving staff a heads up, if you can, on questions that you want to ask. And that was part of the logic behind moving, moving the meeting to Tuesdays. So that as we, questions came in over the right. weekends, staff would have an opportunity to re Correct. Okay. That's all? Okay. Uh, my only comments are just uh, my acronym uh, vendetta. So the A, uh, item three APP, uh, just if we could just say what that means and then the same thing with FPPC, uh, if we could just, before we use the acronym, just so everybody knows what the acronym stands for. So that's uh, on page three of five, the first, and then on uh, page four of five, the first item. <clears throat> and uh, if we have any public comments, I'd like to, um, again, we're just gonna, we're just doing the uh, council member ethics and conduct. Uh, so does anybody, please? a question about, um, I know, Andy, you talked about the, re the responsibility of the mayor being in a separate document, but last meeting we also talked about during a public meeting, if the mayor doesn't do his job, that it then goes to the deputy mayor and also to the other city council members if they feel something is being disruptive. So if that's in here, I'm sorry if I missed it, but I wanted to clarify that there's an order of responsibility. Uh, we can certainly provide a, a um, kind of a pecking order if the if the count committee would like us to. Uh, I I think practically speaking, there's probably not enough time for the mayor to act or not act, and the deputy mayor to act or not act, and then the council members to act. I is what is I envisioned it, and the way it's kind of worded now, how it was before, it was intended to be self-enforcing by the council, and then it does say the mayor has the additional responsibility to, to intervene. As I read that, I think other council members can intervene as well. So unless the committee wants us to have a pecking order and, and obligate the mayor, then the deputy mayor, then the rest of the council, we can do that. I just think there may not be enough time or it may get cumbersome if council members are waiting for the deputy mayor now to, to, to say something or not. Um, I think the deputy mayor doesn't have any additional... Not under the protocols. Their only role is to fill in if the Correct. mayor is not. So they're basically a council member with a different title, correct? unless the mayor is not there. That's how the protocols are set up currently. Okay. I mean, but I, I think the idea is that we're, we're all responsible. The mayor gets first chance, but then if, if, if not the mayor, then we should all 
Step up. Yeah. I'm sorry, what, did you, what was the last thing you said? Microphone. Use the mic. <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize. So I understand that, yes, I, I think we do want to have that, but I understand the uh, mayor's responsibility is different than here. So I just like it spelled out like we've discussed, I think, two or three times already. Is it in here that I'm missing? Uh, I think my question would be if you look at four, uh, on page five of five, okay. item four, if that. Yeah, the intent was not to have some of that enforcement piece in this section and, and another piece or a repeat of that in the other part of the protocol. The idea was to have a, second, a, a section in the protocols in general that would say these protocols, enforcement of these proto protocols are self-enforcing and the mayor has an additional responsibility, not just to this code of ethics or this, these ethic rules, but the entire protocols. Because remember, I think as we talked about last time, there are certain, you know, protocol issues that may not rise to the, even to the level of this, right? Speaking longer than you're supposed to or whatever. So the, the mayor has an additional responsibility to, to correct that, um, that misuse of the protocols. But any other member of the council could say, point of order, I think council member so-and-so just is, is carrying on past their five minutes. So that was kind of the thinking. After page four, item number one, it says uh, complaint naming a council member regarding a violation of these policies, pro protocols, or other city policies may be filed with the mayor. The mayor is an elected position. I don't believe he should be receiving complaints about his cohorts. It should be the other people only. And when it comes down to the issue of telling the council member, unless it's him. That's fine with the mayor or the deputy mayor doing it. But I don't think the initial complaint should be filed with the mayor. He should be kept out of the loop until the investigation is completed, in my opinion. I guess my question would be, what would be the reporting? I mean, even if, like, if Councilmember Duran made it, said this, somebody was bullying him, another council member, am I, or what's the word? Mandated reporter, or if like, based on your position as a council member, do you are you still required to? A complaint has been filed, I guess. Well, I mean, we're considering complaint to be lo loosely construed there. So in that example, mm -hmm. I would think it would be appropriate for Councilmember Duran to go to the mayor and say, "I feel so and so's been harassing me, and I want something done about that." For example, then it would be up to the mayor to pass that on to me or the city attorney to to start this process. Um, but if it's in the case of an employee, they, we, wanted to, we wanted to give flexibility. We don't know where the complaints are going to come from or where they're going to go. Um, and so if, we, if an employee wanted to, to say to the mayor, I feel like so-and-so her, was harassing me, the mayor said, oh, I can't take your complaint. You have to go to the city manager. That would be the result of getting rid of the mayor instead of the mayor just saying, okay, thank you for that. I'll refer you to the city attorney or whatever, so that, that was kind of the thinking, but we can certainly remove the mayor, but the mayor will be part of the initial 
closed session conversation when we bring the complaint um, under the under these new rules. So if the may I? Yeah, please. So if a council member did have an issue with some other council member and they went to the mayor, that I mean that's totally appropriate. That would that would make a lot of sense to do that, right? So we I don't think we really want to exclude the mayor from this list of people. I think it would be I think it would be odd to have a have a council member go to the city manager or the city attorney to report what a colleague has done. Yeah, because it says or, so there's you have your options of who to Correct. Do. Yeah. Amy, say Sherry. I think council member Campos had a question. Oh, I'm sorry. Ms. Campos, or I, council member Campos had a question. I, I just would ask for clarity in all the protocols. So if it's a problem, if I'm having a problem with another council member, I should report to the mayor. If I'm having any kind of issue with an employee, I should let the city manager know and let him deal with that. In the same way, a, an employee should go to HR or the city manager, not to the mayor. So I think if it, it there's some clarity that can be written into it. I, I just don't want to make it too complicated, but I can if if you would if the committee would like me to, I will make it complicated. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, I think yeah. it's fine. Make it complicated. Please. Thanks. Um, and, and kind of to that point, like at first, when I first saw this, I was reading like verbatim, these are the guidelines, I can't remember what it is, it's like the Council of Governments or something. Um, and I, so this isn't really the protocols, these are like the guidelines for the protocols that will be written, or are these the ones that we're going to use? This is just one part of the overall protocols dealing with council member ethics and conduct. Right. Okay. This will be this will be the language that gets put into the protocols. Okay. Um, and then on page five of five, at the top, just um, with other actions, including but not limited to loss of committee assignments, um, suspension of city-sponsored attendance at conferences. So would meetings and workshops also be like? council meetings and goal-setting workshops because those are like things that an elected official should be party to. We can clarify that. That's not the intent. The intent is, um, for example, League of, League of Cities meetings where the city is paying money for the council members to go. I think that's the intent. Not We can't exclude them from doing their, their, their duties of attending the council meeting right. workshops. Um, okay. That was that. Please. So this, this seems a little bit confusing to me. I mean, I think that we've done such a great job on this that now it's more confusing. So city charter tells us city manager will communicate with staff. And now we have this one that tells council members you should contact staff members and tell them what corrections to make in their work product, et cetera, prior to a meeting for efficiency. But then we have the Brown Act and it tells us that, you know, during a public meeting, that type of communication should be happening. For example, Mr. McReynolds, when you brought up hey, all these abbreviations are confusing me. I don't want to have to turn back to the first page. If a staff member doesn't get that, 
that's something that the city manager should handle and you should be able to ask those questions in public because the public is kind of confused too. This one is most concerning to me. Number nine, council should direct any concerns related to behavior or work of a city employee to the city manager. Now work, if you're talking about someone's work, didn't that just tell you to go to the city manager to report that? Yet we can go up two, par or two paragraphs and it tells us not to do that, go directly to the staff so we can have efficiency. What it feels like to me, and coming from county government, we always want to make nice. You know, we want to have these meetings where everybody's nice, but we really don't get to the root of what the issue is on any particular subject matter. And I think that we have a, a mayor that has the style that he wants everybody to agree on everything and you don't have to do that in order to do your work. So these are confusing to me based upon the city charter and the two things that I just mentioned, but I think it goes further than that. I think you're better off not communicating with staff at all unless it goes through the city manager because I think it's protection for you. And if I were a city council member, maybe someday, who knows, uh, I would be very cautious in the way that I talk to staff right now just because of where the environment is. So that's just my, my thought process. And I will say in response to that that um, I think generally what Mr. Overly is referring to is, it, is the way that it should operate and I think oftentimes practically the um, city manager will say, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy with you, council member X, re speaking to my department heads or, or whatever. Um, so I, I don't think that's inappropriate what Mr. Overly is suggest suggesting. And, and we can change that if the committee would like to. We can change that to say that they should communicate those questions, corrections, and clarifications to the city manager prior to the council meetings. And then the city manager can decide if, if he or she wants the council member to speak directly to staff. Because I, I do appreciate the, the position that you guys are in, because under the charter, if you direct staff, you could be removed from office. So it's a fairly significant um, repercussion. I, I would say, I mean, just as a practice myself, so if I have a question regarding a staff report of Parks and Rec, I always include the city manager in, in the on all of my communications to any, and I, I don't personally communicate, not because I have an issue with it, but generally a department head position and below, I, 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 will, I, don't, I only reach out to the department head and the, and I always include the city manager and then, uh, like I recently had a newer department head email me directly and I'm like, please always include the city manager when you, you email me, uh, just because, I mean, it was, there, there was nothing about the email, but I just said, you gotta, always have the city manager. So I don't know if it's like a department head level, because I'm, <clears throat> I'm trying to make six work because I want to be able to ask a question over the weekend and say, hey, Michael, uh, I'm going to ask about such and such date, you know, uh, and actually, Mr. Overly, like you sent me a, about the, they got the date wrong on the, the arc, you know, so I included an email to Mr. Ayub Mr. McDonald just saying, hey, FYI, I heard that, you know, the, the date was wrong, you know, so we want to get those fixed, you know, but I think it needs to be at that department head level. I don't know if that makes any sense, you know. Uh, I, I wouldn't email one of the deputy city clerks, you know. Uh, I just wouldn't do it. 
um, on it. But I'm, I'm comfortable including you and Mr. Ayub on any email, and then I can direct, I can email you directly without Mr. Ayub. But I, I think that really it's a preference of the city manager. The city manager could say, "Council, please refer all questions to me, and I'll decide." He he could do that. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think he's done that, and that hasn't been my experience with the other city managers we've had. So um, I think the intent of six, when it talks about questions, corrections, maybe there's um, an error in the staff report or something. Not um, council has given you direction to exclude all acronyms, and you continue to do it. This needs to be corrected. That I think would kind of transition into number nine, yeah. where there seems to be a, a work issue that should be dealt with with the city manager. So the way it's worded right now, I think there's a distinction. I understand it's a little bit vague. Um, I'm not sure that we can provide for every possible contingency without making this a, a very yeah. And maybe it's just a, a sentence on, on six that and just a, a simpler way to say, in, you know, FYI, make sure you include the city manager on all. You know, emails to department if you're asking a question. Because I will often ask a question over the weekend. Like I've, I'm reading, I'm, and it's often like you said, the I'm going to ask this question. Please be prepared to answer. <laughs> Not that I'm looking for them to reply back. It's like I'm going to ask this, you know, in open session. Okay, I can add something along that line. Yeah, I generally email the questions to the city manager mm -hmm. yeah, I always and ask him to refer them to the employee that's giving the report. Right. So. Yeah, I never email, like, because most of the time, it's not always the department head giving the report. Like, I never email any anybody lower than a department head, not because it's not an ego thing. <laughs> I, just, I just don't want to get in trouble <laughs> on it. Okay, is there anybody else? That, Mr. Actually, a comment that uh, Council Member Campos mentioned. I'm looking, uh, one, under complaints and policy violations. It's a little bit of a question about what's the audience for this, but a lot of this is if staff has an issue, right? Shouldn't they go to HR? Shouldn't they have the ability to go to HR first? This is the Council protocols. I know, but the, the, so this is only a complaint from a Council Member about another Council Member. It's not a complaint of a staff member. No, it's, it's really any complaint. So they, that, that re is received from an employee, another council member, a member of the public. Yeah. So they could, they could provide their complaint to any of these, the mayor, the city manager, city attorney, or human resources. Yeah, I just I imagine staff comes on, they have some type of document. If you have a complaint, you can go to HR. I just think we should be consistent with it, right? I mean, that would, in the organizations I've been, HR was always open if you had a complaint. That's one of their jobs. So you might want to include that on there. But are, you saying that, are you saying that it should be, employees should only be able to go to HR? Is that what no, you're saying? No, just HR is one of the options. Otherwise, you're asking, I don't dig down to here, but if there's a staff, not even a staff member, he's got a complaint about a council member, he's got to go talk to the mayor, the city manager, or the city attorney. You know, that's up in, you know, this or, or it says, or human resources. It says, or human resources. Excuse me? It, it says, say. after city attorney, or human oh, resources. Oh, I, okay, sorry, shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long day. Sorry for this. No, 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 it's okay. Is there any other comments? 
You drove in the rain. Did I what? You drove in the rain. <laughs> she did. I rode with her. I, I thought overall this was pretty well fleshed out. A um, few good comments, and I, I got to agree with you, Bill. I hate acronyms. I had a boss once that did a 10-minute formal presentation. These were all employees. Yeah. But I'd say at least one-third of the words in that 10-minute presentation were acronyms. But the funny part was because they're employees, they're familiar with these, and right. at the end he said, and you understood everything I said, <laughs> which was true. We all did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if there are no other comments, uh, so what I'd like is if we can do a motion so that we would be making a motion to take this with the revisions as directed to the full council at, is there a date or are we just moving it on to the full council? Can I just clarify what Please. the corrections are since this isn't yeah. coming back? So um, on council's relationship with city staff, number three, I will define APMP. Um, on six, uh, I will add a sentence about the uh, communications to staff should include should uh, include a copy to the city manager. Uh, on, um, I don't know if you wanted to change to nine or not. I had clarified it would be more practical, but I'm not sure if you if the count committee is comfortable enough with the distinction between six and nine. But if you want, I can clarify that. Um, on number 11, define the FPPC. I I'm a little unclear on complaints and policy violations. Number one, if you want me to designate, council members must, ref must file their complaint with the mayor and employees must do it to the other three. I can do that if you would like. Uh, and then clarify um, potential council action C to, to say that uh, suspension of city-sponsored attendance at conferences, meetings, workshops, seminars, and similar gatherings uh, will be, I don't know, maybe tied to events that the city pays for um, as opposed to um, a, you know, a regular council meeting or something like that. You just put excluding regular council meetings and workshops, like just exclu you know, excluding those things because we're responsible to be there. So, it's so I'm going to defer to council member uh, Duran on nine on page three of five. Yeah. Thank and you. And then I'll defer to Council Member Compost on one uh, on page four. So we'll start with page three. Uh, so I think what you said a word. I think um, at the at the last in the last um, sentence it says nor should they communicate their concerns publicly. I think you you said formally or something instead of publicly. Yeah, that was something I suggested. Yeah. Okay. okay. Council Member Compost, page four, item one regarding council members should file their complaints with the mayor directly, or are you good with them having, and then, and the city manager, city attorney, and HR, or only the mayor? I, I believe that council members should just utilize the uh, mayor. Council member Campos, if I could have you uh, talk closer to the mic, please, thank you. I believe that council members need a place to report that is equivalent to their level. And we oversee the city manager and city attorney. And so the initial complaint process needs to be among ourselves. Since we chose the leadership of the person who is the mayor, he should be the person to receive our complaint. And I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth now. And then if the, if the mayor is the person, then they would then be able to go to the deputy mayor. If, that, if, if the mayor is the person doing the harassment, then they could 
right? Go to the deputy mayor, so. <laughs> you understand what I get? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so if, are, are, are you good with that clarification? Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, can I get a motion to then, with those changes? So moved. Second. Okay, we do have a motion and a second to approve the draft ethics policy as further revised by the committee. Councilmember Campos? Yes. Vice Chair Duran? Yes. Chair McReynolds? Yes. Three ayes and the motion carries. Okay, so let's pick up back where we left off uh, on the uh, table. The, the uh, optional amendments. And I think we were going to pick up with the, uh, there was a question regarding comment cards. Yes. Yeah, so if we can start there and sure. then we'll. Thank you uh, for that. So yes, the committee had previously approved the recommendation to remove speaker cards, and I wanted to share that there were some concerns from the public uh, in general about the Coastal Commission and the requirement for the Coastal Commission to have public speaker cards. So what I can share, uh, for example, the speaker cards uh, that I receive in most instances do not have contact information on them. Uh, in addition, we have an inconsistent process because we have virtual speakers, and virtual speakers don't have public speaker cards. So uh, what has happened as recent as September 25th of last year when a item that was under the Coastal Commission's purview and the Coastal Commission was reaching out in regards to those speaker cards, there was confusion from them around the virtual participants, for example, and we didn't have speaker cards to present to them. So typically what the Coastal Commission does is they do request those speaker cards. What they're looking for is not necessarily the name, it's the uh, contact information because they compile a list of interested parties, for example. They also transcribe the comments that individuals make. So the Coastal Commission has confirmed with me that they are okay with a transcription of the public comments given from the meeting. We also provide them with a recording of the meeting as well. And so really, if uh, I've heard comments as well about the name, for example, being in the record, now that we have the recording of city council meetings, the name, for example, can be stated from the podium when the speaker gives public comment. If I could show you the speaker cards that I receive, uh, and I'll note even from folks in the room today who do not provide their contact information, for example. So I also have speaker cards that I receive uh, with fake names. And so, uh, for example, when the Coastal Commission received a speaker card with a name uh, that didn't appear to be real, they contacted us back out and were trying to resolve uh, what the issue was. The issue was is that the name on the card was not a real name. Uh, in addition, we have uh, situations of where we had uh, hate speech in our, in, our, uh, in our meetings. While that was virtual, for example, the, the names are recorded and I can share that the names that were provided were not names that I felt comfortable uh, putting in a set of city council minutes, for example. The reminder is, is that we always have the recording of the video. So there's, always, there's also been some concerns expressed around uh, in the last meeting, for example, how might you cede time without a speaker card? You may have noticed in one of our recent meetings that a speaker card was submitted to cede time for somebody who was not in the room, uh, which happens actually quite often because people don't know uh, maybe something comes up, an item goes longer, they leave early. And so we have speaker cards, for example, of people who are no longer in the room. A solution to that, for example, is to say, uh, would anyone like to cede me time? I will, and I will. 
and now two people have seated time. In general, the clerk's office is tracking. And as, as many of you know, we generally know who's in the room uh, as well, and we get to know folks. So we, we're able to track when, if for example, somebody has seated time, We've got two sets of eyes in the clerk's office watching who's seated time. But the, the amount of time that it takes for me, for example, to read the names, and in every meeting, in this last meeting, I had six speaker cards read for the speakers that were not in the room uh, when the item got called. And then, in addition to not having speaker cards completed accurately and the Brown Act not requiring uh, us not being able to require to collect information from folks. I found it to be uh, the best solution for right now. Now, this might not be the best solution permanently, and I want to share that I'm also exploring a process by which folks might be able to register electronically um, or have a process by which they could indicate from their phone. Uh, we then run into uh, challenges of folks not having phones, right? Uh, and so we want to make sure that we make this process as easy as possible for everyone, and so right now, now, the recommendation is to remove those speaker cards because we're looking at the meeting efficiency. And, uh, you know, I, I would say, I went through the past three meetings, for example, and I would say probably more than 85% of the speaker cards are not filled out. So that, that was really the reasoning behind the speaker card. And so uh, I'll share as well that I, when, uh, when the concern was raised around the Coastal Commission, I did contact our local uh, Coastal Commission representative and had a conversation with them about what they'd be willing to accept. And so what they shared with me again was that they would be willing to, and in the September 25th meeting, for example, uh, what we provided them was a transcript of the meeting. And uh, in, in WebEx and in YouTube, it's maintaining a transcript of the meeting. So that's fairly easy for us to be able to provide those transcripts of what the public comments were to the Coastal Commission. And that's generally the way that we did it. We might also look at a process by which if if someone wants to identify themselves as an interested party uh, on that item, for example, for the Coastal Commission, we may look for an additional sign-up sheet, for example, where folks can identify at the front table that they'd like to be included on an interested party list for that item. So those are, are currently in consideration uh, now, but open to hear uh, feedback from the committee. Do we have questions on public comment cards? Mr. Campos. I don't know if you want to do this separately, but there was the issue of people having to line up and stand up and wait. Sure, so thank you for that, uh, Council Member Compost. The way that I envision it, and I would just note, much smaller of a group here, but tonight we didn't use speaker cards, in the last meeting we didn't use speaker cards here as well. And I think you can see that generally folks are willing to work with each other when they're gonna go speak. Of course, you have some folks who are, I've gotta speak first, uh, we all know who has to speak last at every meeting, so we'll always have uh, those folks, right? But in general, my experience in other jurisdictions is that uh, we, we wouldn't, for example, with 32 speakers, expect for 32 speakers to line up at once, and I also don't have the room for that in the council chambers, right? And so the idea is is that what I've done in a, in a prior jurisdiction is mark out either five to ten spots, and we'll look at the council chambers, whether it makes sense to have that on the right or whether that makes sense to have that on the, the left-hand wall. We'll look at the, the breakout of the room but the idea is is that folks could remain seated until the line was moving down and they could get in line uh, when they want to I've even seen a little brokering you know I don't have all night to stay here do you mind if I go before you or you know I have a limited ability can I go before you uh, whatever the case may be I find that folks are accommodating so that's how I've addressed it in another jurisdiction and then I know we're uh, 
reconfiguring the council chamber somewhat? Are we looking at adding a second dais potentially? California Public Balcony. So we're, we are uh, in the process of going through some work in the council chambers and the speaker's podium uh, is gonna be looked at in that, in, in that as well. So that might be able to provide us, for example, the placement of the podium might be able to provide us with a little bit more uh, clarity as to where that might work in the room. Public comments? Sorry, I didn't mean to. <laughs> Trying to make some protocol. <laughs> I like the, the sign-up sheet idea, that, that'd be great. If you wanna be um, an interested party, that was great. Um, and I understand the not having speaker cards, the interested party sign-up sheet's good. And maybe also remind people when they get up to speak, you know, if you'd like to be part of the record, state your name. Because, you know, Amy Cherry, C-H-E-R-R-I-E, because I forget all the time. And people who don't like speaking, really forget, they forget what they're gonna say. Um, and then just to make it searchable, because I'm a search person, um, seems like it would be a good idea to keep the names in the minutes for those who do want to be on the record as, as speaking. So, I mean, at least for me, if I go back and look at the minutes from all the times X project came before any meeting, I could go down and look and, you know, Eight months later, <clears throat> I go, oh, I know that person, but at the time I didn't know that person. Or if I want to go back and look to reach out to somebody, it's easy to, if their name's there, instead of having to go through all the videos, stopping at each person, listening to who, if they said their name, um, if they want to leave their name. But um, I think that would be very helpful um, for that. And and, and I'll just quickly comment that uh, I think that we can do a better job at explaining the public comment process just in general as well. And so I envision a slide being up, for example, that would, uh, you know, outline the, the protocols as it relates to public comment while public comment is taking place. And that's a, a great suggestion to remind folks to, uh, to, to say their, state their name when they want that in the record. Just uh, briefly, real quick, on the uh, in the minutes uh, piece. So right now, uh, per our protocols, we the council has approved action minutes. And so generally, action minutes include only the action taken by council. And so the recommendation to remove the speaker names is in alignment with how action minutes uh, appear. And the other uh, reason for that as well is that we haven't had, and I, I appreciate that uh, folks do look at the minutes, so thank you for uh, noting that you do look at the minutes. The only request that we've had for speaker names in the past two years has been from the star, for example. Uh, and I find it interesting because they're usually in the room. So uh, that's the only request that we've had for the speaker names. So that recommendation just came from the alignment of action minutes because action minutes generally only capture the action by which the council took and we still have the recording and the recording of those meetings will always be available. And then just on your Coastal Commission comment, if they were to ask for the transcripts, is that is that something that you just push a button and it spits out? Or exactly, so yeah. something that would prevent if you don't say your name. Yeah, the, tra the transcripts is very easy. It's doing it in the background. So I have the transcripts of all the meetings, for example. And, uh, and so yes, we, we could copy that 
Uh, and YouTube does that as well. So you can, for example, if you're watching the YouTube meeting at home or WebEx, you can turn them on and it will automatically give you the transcripts for those meetings as well. But generally, yes, in this last instance, that's what we did. We pulled the transcript and we provided the, the public comment uh, that was made actually by Mr. Handy. Uh, so it was the request for his public comment and we took the transcripts from that public comment at the September 25th meeting. So, I'm trying to remember if it was from the Planning Commission to the appeal or um, if it's a court um, hearing where you have to prove that you were at the meetings. And so that's when the name becomes important because you prove that you were there, that you spoke. I'd like to know how that would work out. And then this kind of sounds lame, but honestly, when we're cut to two and hopefully never again down to one minute, just the timing, oh, this is Wendy Sawyer. I, I, I'm not kidding, I mean, we get cut off. You see that a lot. It, that's 10 seconds more. So rather than you're saying, please remember to speak, couldn't you, if we did put our name, couldn't you just say it? Then, but my bigger concern is proving that we were participating. Yeah, and, and again, we, we will always have the recording of those videos uh, available. And, and I'm open to uh, the, whatever suggestion the committee has. The only recommendation was to remove the name, was if we're removing speaker cards, for example, and we're taking action minutes, then we would remove the name as well. So you're envisioning like the slide that would say, if you want your name... State your name. If you want your name recorded, mm -hmm. uh, state it. So you'd, you'd, you'd say something like that in a slide that you're envisioning? That's right, yeah, and those transcripts could always be provided of that meeting as well. Um, I know that when um, the 211 hearing and then we've filed some action and we had to prove that we were there and speaking or we could not have filed our action. And so, um, you know, I, I think, I think, I, I, think it's a, I think it's hard to do speaker cards on the 211 thing because people were seeding time and I actually jumped in and started arranging the cards and helping because I know it's a, a pain to do. But I think in this case the efficiency isn't as strong as taking our time to say our name. People mumble, people, you may not hear it right, so I mean to hear someone... All the time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So when I say blah, 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 is it, is it really going to get recorded properly and is it really going to be the name? So um, There's also video. Huh? There's also video. Yeah, but I'm saying even yeah. so, like people mumble, they don't yeah, say no, their name. Trust me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm guilty because I've been here so many times of just putting my name and not my address and all my information and I will do better next time. So I'm one of those who just puts her name and I didn't even think that, we, that it was the other information that was so important. But even though it makes it more efficient, um, and it just seems messy, like lining up five and then, oh, I'm gonna go up, oh, no, there's five, I better not go up. Oh, there, you know, it, it, it just seems, doesn't seem very dignified and orderly and um, I, I think we should keep speaker cards. Please. I think I, I think I have an easy solution here. So if the city clerk could start the clock after the person said their name, if they feel so inclined to say it, I mean, it would take a really intelligent guy, probably like a city attorney, to come up with this idea. But <laughs> So I would say, I'm Glenn Overly, 
<laughs> and then Michael could go, and then we're good. I think it's an easy solution. What do you think, Andy? I think it makes sense. <laughs> so um, I, I'm going to give you a couple of things that Patty had wanted me to say. She couldn't be here. She's on a call to China right now. So anyways, um, we talk about efficiency, repetition, repetition of speech. So we, we have particular council members that some of us know that they're in the trades. <laughs> they do landscape. They drove through the town so many times. What council may not realize is there's a drinking game in Ventura, and when somebody says the name in the trades, who's ever at home and hears that, drinks. So we're creating you know, alcoholics in our community, and hopefully we can do away with that. So I know that we talked about how long council members had to talk, but when we're at the podium and we reach our time, our mic goes dead. Could we maybe consider doing that for council a couple times? Maybe they'll get it. Done. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no comment. And you know, this is a very relaxed atmosphere, so we can say this. And I'm saying it kind of in a funny way, but I'm I'm kind of serious. To hear a council member repeat the same stuff, a lot of people just get up and walk out. Sometimes I'm like, okay, good time to stretch my legs because I've heard the story before. Um, Clapping and applause, I know the mayor's had some issues with it. Uh, I would say this, if, if I'm at home and I can't see the audience go like this, then you've lost you know, a portion of the communication that happens in a council meeting. What I would suggest is since the mayor can hand out an award and then at the end everybody claps, or we give some type of resolution or whatever it happens to be, even when speakers talk, if, if Smart Bob says something and at the end I think it's really good, I may clap. So I don't see anything wrong with it. It's not efficient or inefficient. If it's, if it's during their comments, that's a problem. But if we got consistent where people would clap at the end of somebody's comments, I don't see any harm in that. And I think it's going to happen whether the mayor wants it to happen or not. Um, and then one thing that I read, and I don't know if this is still true, and perhaps the city clerk can help me understand it. I know that there's something in, in our current um, documents, guiding documents, that say something about a speaker card, and that if you're for or against it, they're supposed to be read into the record. Does that seem familiar at all? I mean, I don't know if we've ever done that, but it was kind of curious, and that kind of makes sense if somebody doesn't want to talk, but they want to say, I'm for this or not. So those are my comments. Thank you. So uh, thank you, uh, Ms. Roverly. So in, in the Planning Commission, for example, uh, they do have two different sets of speaker cards. In directors hearing and other final action bodies, they have two different sets of speaker cards. And one of the speaker cards says, I'd like to comment. And one of the speaker's cards says, I'd like to submit a written comment. The reality of that is, is uh, yes, that it does currently say that the yes or no will be read into the record. What I can share is that since I've been city clerk, no one has ever requested that they submit just an opinion as opposed to written comment. But in response to that, uh, I would also argue that those written comments that are handed, for example, in the meeting, will most likely not be read. The whole comment itself, we would have a challenge reading into the meeting as opposed to saying, right now the protocols say whether or not you're in support or opposition of 
the whole common itself would be difficult, but I would argue that it's it's a, a better process if folks were able to submit, uh, as they are now, an email in advance of the meeting, as directed on the on the agenda, uh, or even be able to submit that electronic public speaker card, which the electronic we would still keep as a means for people to submit uh, a comment electronically prior to the council meeting. But yet, yeah, he, he is correct that we do have that, and that's in the protocols. So that piece would be removed from the protocols. I guess my question is, why does it matter if they're for or against a item on the speaker card? It, it's 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 a, a process that was put in place on our protocols where at the time I imagine there was uh, members of the public who for example wanted the opportunity to be able to express their support or opposition without having to go to the podium and so they would for example I'll also note uh, in the protocols it states that the mayor uh, is responsible for reading the uh, public speaker cards and calling the speakers as well and so this is part of the reason why we're looking at updating right because in 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 process it's a, imagine the process of getting those speaker cards to the mayor for example it could be a little challenging interrupting the meeting when we're receiving speaker cards uh, as it's going and so uh, just in general also uh, th think for example if I had 30 cards that said we were in support of the item uh, I, I would just be reading you know support 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 so I don't know how effective that is it is currently in our protocols today I haven't experienced that to be the case uh, as of today would, would you believe that's a holdover from what I'll call the pre-internet exactly yeah there's a lot of things in our protocols that uh, and, and especially the speaker cards you know prior to videos being recorded and not all public agencies record their meetings we don't record all of our, our public meetings uh, right now either uh, because of technology technology challenges but as we move towards that then the video recording itself is what becomes the record oh, hold on. Sorry. Go ahead. so regarding those cards where you check your for or against and you may or may not write a comment on it. Prior to COVID, when Mr. Nazarenko was still on the city council, we still were using those cards. And the, the cards of the people who wanted to speak at the meeting were handed to the clerk and in groups passed up to the mayor for each item. And the cards with those comments on it were handed to Mr. Nazarenko, who sat at the end where Mr. Duran is sitting now. He sorted through them for or against and made a note, and he hand carried it over to the mayor. And so that was included in the transcript of the meeting. When COVID came, I think that all fell apart because no one was here speaking. But up until COVID began, we were using those cards. And it was reported out at the meeting, not each comment, but the number of people for a specific item and the number of people against. And sometimes that's very significant if you have 100 people in the room and only 20 are commenting. Yeah, and, and I would just comment that the in 2020 is when the electronic speaker card was created. And so that's when that process changed because there was a QR code provided. And on the electronic speaker card, folks can indicate whether or not if they simply just want to mark support 
or they're not in support. Again, what I would note is to date, even when we'd have 75 speakers in the room, no one has ever requested to record their support or opposition to an item and not provide public comment. The other thing to keep in mind is the inconsistent procedures with virtual attendees. Some folks, for example, are joining the meeting and they appear as an email address. Some folks appear as a phone number, for example. Some folks might be signing on on their spouse's or significant other's account and they appear as a completely different name. So we don't have a process by which a lot of time we can capture that because we can't require them to provide, for example, a name. And so when a speaker appears virtually with a telephone number, that can't be included in the minutes. And so what we're trying to do is create a consistent process for both our virtual and our in-person attendees because right now the process is very disjointed between the two. And then the thank you. The electronic is expanding. I think the legislature is actually yeah, so uh, right now the there's a current legislation before the uh, assembly to approve virtual participation for advisory bodies. So right now council can participate, but a quorum of the body is required to physically be in person. So for advisory groups, there is current legislation which we anticipate to, to be adopted uh, that would say all of our advisory bodies could meet 100% remote and not have to meet in an in-person location or have a quorum of the body in that. So I would, I would expect that that legislation does get adopted that, this year, and what that means then is, I, I imagine that a lot of our advisory committees would elect to uh, participate in meetings remotely, and so we, we very well may see uh, remote participation increasing. Only, but it might be. Uh, or only, yeah. only remote participation for some of our council advisory groups, for example. Yeah, one thing that uh, comes up is a lot of the time when you're sitting in the audience, you'll hear comments and you'll hear other people saying things and some things that are said by council in the, the areas. And if the people in the, in the audience want to make a comment about anything that they've heard, they can't do that. I think there should be the avenue to be able to make a comment after or because you can't come up and make a second comment a lot of the times because somebody will address something like, I make a comment, and some of the council members, somebody else responds to my comments, they may or may not have heard what I was trying to say correctly. And it's not addressed correctly, but I can never correct that, and I can never address what the concern that I had with it is. So as a result of that, there's no way to put that information in the minutes in the meeting. I think there should be a, a, something put in records where you can submit an email or written comment up to 24 hours after a meeting and have it added as a supplemental comment. And then that way you're taking care of it. That's my suggestion. And, and we do currently uh, do that process. So we get a, a, a we, we always post a supplemental the day after. Yeah, we get a second uh, after the council meetings, we get a another supplemental packet. Yep, and if, if a communication, for example, came in after that uh, supplemental packet that went out the next day, it gets added to the next supplemental packet. Would it be the referencing that meeting? Yes. Or would it be the following meeting minutes? 
Or following meeting. It would, it would be in the following meeting supplemental packet under general public comments, most likely, unless the item was continued. Or, for example, recently we had uh, an item that came before a downtown parking, right? Had come before council or a healthcare for all, for example, where we then take the public comments received at all different periods and compile it into one succinct supplemental packet so that all of those comments that came in at different points in times can all be located in one place and, and align with that item. Well, a case in point on that it would be with the last meeting on the 23rd, there was a deal with the water group giving their presentation. It was not made public until the 24th. So as a result of that, if somebody read that, they wanted to make a comment on it, they couldn't do it and have it added. It may go to the following minutes in the following meeting, but that's really not relevant to that meeting at all. I believe it should be addressed to the meeting that the question was addressed at, I, not I to the following meeting. If, if, you, if Mr. McDonald's staff or gets it, we, we get it the next day highlighted, and then if it's in the following packet, they actually say this comment is from the previous, we get a, there's a cover sheet that says this comment is from the previous meeting and it highlights the agenda item and everything like that. So the, I mean, only, they, the, only, the only problem with that is, as a reader myself, I'm not going to go the next minutes to see what's going on in the previous meeting. That's just not a common thing to do. Mm -hmm. I, I understand that, but I, I think the comments are directed at the council generally, and the, they make every effort to make sure that we're very aware of what the comment was related to. And, <clears throat> My, my concern is documentation to me, if somebody wants to follow up and see what's going on with the minutes in the meeting or comments on the, that issue with the, with the something that occurred in, like the 23rd, and you say you had a meeting on the 3rd, you put it in the 3rd, people are not gonna go from the 23rd to look at the 3rd for comments made but about the 23rd. I, so I what, I'm, what I'm saying is there should be a time limit on it, 24 hours, comments are made within 24 hours at the end of the meeting. Then it's gonna put a supplemental for the meeting that it concerned, that's my point. Oh, one additional thought I'd like to add is, in addition to providing the supplemental packets on the web page and providing them to council after, we upload them into our records online portal, which is our public-facing portal on the city clerk site. It's keyword searchable, for example. And so those documents get scanned in OCR and uploaded there. So if someone, for example, wanted to search through the supplemental packets keyword searchable, they would also have that ability. And so the, the intent of the supplemental process of us, you know, is having to reach finality on an item. So, for example, we, we, it, you know, depending on if we didn't have a close point where it was added to the next meeting, we could continuously receive communications through multiple days, for example, and that supplemental might never close. So the idea is finality, but I do uh, take the feedback in regards to our supplemental process, and can that be looked at? Uh, yes, absolutely. The supplemental process itself could be looked at, and we could identify different deadlines for uh, we don't have a deadline, for example, for submission after the next day. Might be something where we say the next day by 4 p.m. all comments have to be received. So we can definitely look at the process of our supplementals. So Mr. Handy, what I, what I was hearing you say is that you're sitting in a meeting and maybe we're in item number 14. You came up and made your comments. You said something. We all said something, but we misunderstood what you said. You have no way of getting back. But yet at the end of the meeting, there's public comments where you could make a comment. Oh, item's not on the agenda. You're right. You're right. So I get it. Okay, thank you. That's that's the one thing that I had in the prior one of the prior minutes uh, meetings that I went to with the prior councils. I was making a comment in regards to something. It was about a six-minute comment or five minutes. 
I stopped in the middle of it and I continued it and completed it at the end of the meeting in public comment. That time it became an advantage, even though it was related to a comment in regards to something on the agenda, but I was able to complete my thoughts in that period of time. So it's been going Thank you. both ways with the Thank you. Thank you. Council. Super short, I think this is more for Michael. So on these potential remote meetings where there still be a hard physical address, and will there also be like video happening simultaneously? Yeah, so uh, thank you for that. The legislation is still before the legislature now, but what I will share is that it does say that there would still be an in-person location for public comment. So although the quorum of the body uh, might not be physically present, there would still be a physical and present location. For example, someone would most likely be here at City Hall uh, during that time period by which public comment could happen from that physical location. So there, there will always be a, an opportunity for a physical uh, public comment to be made. As the bill currently uh, exists. And is there a way for this committee to adopt kind of those rules ahead of time so that you don't have to revisit it in the future? No, they just. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's going to be for advisory bodies only and not legislative bodies since this is a subcommittee of the city council. And the intent of the legislation was the, the number of state committees that they have. It was really designed for state committees. Uh, because the number of state committees that folks are traveling up and down the state and when we realized in COVID a lot could go virtual, the idea was it's more for advisory bodies, but the, the rule won't apply for legislative bodies. I, I think the, the legislature will always stay with a quorum of the legislative body to be in person. Um, I think we got off the topic of speaker cards, which is what we were supposed to be talking about. Um, I thought that was fascinating, and I did not realize that uh, at one time with the speaker cards, if you were for or against, that somebody would add that up. I think that would be hugely impactful um, when there's an issue, and not that many people are speaking, but people have written letters and they've spoken, but if people are just there in support or against something and choose not to speak, I think adding up the speaker cards and saying 40 people are for it and 20 people are not would be hugely impactful for you council members before you vote. So um, again, in all respect to Michael, who I think is amazing, I'm sorry. I just think the speaker cards are even more important when I heard something like that. I, I think that would be a really nice addition to have somebody add that up and give you that information before you voted on the topic. So yeah. Any other comments? Just a question. The, when you submit the emails prior to the meeting, I, I think sometimes you say emails have been received. I can't remember if you say how many are yes and how many are no. Is that something you do during the meeting? Because this would be hand in hand with what Carol's saying if you're actually attending. So right now, it's, you can submit an electronic speaker card, for example, and whether or not somebody registers an opposition or support on that electronic speaker card, that speaker card is provided to council. If it's submitted in advance, the, the process follows the same for the supplemental. So the speaker card electronically uh, allows you, as the uh, physical speaker card does as well, there's a box to select whether support or, or uh, oppose the recommendation. The electronic speaker card is the same. If a card came in, for example, with no contact information, which most of the time the electronic ones do, because I think folks feel a little bit more comfortable submitting anonymously electronically, 
uh, and most of the time the electronic speaker cards that do come in don't have contact information, they're still provided in the supplemental packet. So I think in, in general, in regards to marking a support or opposition, I think it, generally, uh, in my experience anyway, the volume of emails is what usually indicates support or opposition. And I would just say from my experience of compiling those emails, it becomes very clear whether or not the room is uh, in support or opposition uh, of that item by our submit and writ written comments. Yeah, and I, my only hesitation too is sometimes you, you can't tell uh, also, so you would have to make an interpretation of this person had an opinion, <laughs> so because sometimes they just like, like <laughs> and you're like, okay. I, I got one speaker card at the last meeting that was completely blank. I was a little confused and went back. Um, I wasn't quite sure what to do with it, but it was 100% blank, and they intended to submit it blank because they wanted to submit a comment anonymously without providing a comment. <laughs> did, did you have? Well, is anybody else? I'm not usually the one that's last. Oh. <laughs> uh, it's because you're in I, person. <laughs> I'll just say that, you know, Michael's an extremely efficient person. He thinks this system will work. He's seen it work. Um, I don't think he'd be proposing if, if, if there was going to be a bunch of problems. Some potential issues have been raised. But I think when you, you launch it, we're going to go, oh, yeah, this works pretty well. <laughs> that's, that's my thought on it. Thank you. <laughs> and I appreciate that. And, and I just want to share that all, all of the feedback from these meetings will be, of course, taken back and looked at as we develop. And in the interim, even with the, uh, with the approval or not of this speaker card, for example, I don't anticipate, for example, the next meeting to be implemented. It's going to take a little bit of time to figure out how and, and where. And, and maybe we'll find that the room doesn't provide for enough space, for example. We'll have to do a little bit of testing in smaller meetings and whatnot. So I, I hear all the feedback, and, and, and we'll take that all back seriously. I'm going to jump to a different item, but first I want to point out Smart Wendy. Okay. Um, number 22, delete presentation links. Wait, hold on, hold on. 22. Go ahead. I, I, we could. Are, are, we, are you voting on each item separately? Am I well, we were gonna yeah go through them. I mean, we we didn't go to 22 yet, but if you want to jumping, sorry, I was reading. Oh, it. That's okay. Well, if, if you don't mind, I would like to close out item um, two. Okay. Uh, which I'll, is the I'll be patient. It ties in to what we were just doing. So uh, on it, and again, this is just state law, right? Oh, so, apologies. Which number? Two. Because I think we just kind of it was part of. It got rolled into the conversation we were having. Yeah. And yeah. my question actually is, of, of these items, besides two, are there any other of the items that relate to basically what we were just discussing? I don't uh, believe so, other than I mean, tangentially item number three, because right now the protocols say if a council member wants something on the record, they make a statement like, I'd like this on the record and then that would be included in the minutes. That's in the current protocols today. Oh. And so again, in alignment with action minutes and having a recording of the meeting, the recommendation is to remove that. So it's tangentially related because we're talking about removing things out of the city council minutes that are not action-based. Okay. 
So just really quick to my two colleagues on items two and three then. Uh, Councilmember Campos, do you? I'm good how they're written. Okay. So then we will do two and three. As, and then I am happy to jump to 22 now since they were, I just wanted to, because they were tangentially related to everything we were talking about. Yes, yes. Uh, 27 is actually grayed out, so that means that it's been taken care of and resolved already. So that, that says approved amendment. That was the prior action from the committee. Yeah. And I think the, the comment from Mr. McDonald is if it, this doesn't work, we're going we're to go back. Mm -hmm. yeah. We'll figure something else out, is what he said. Yeah. So if you want to do 22, we can yeah. jump. Oh, oh, please. Real quick on the topic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's close. No, let's, before we close it out, let's. Um, is, is it a um, requirement that all city council meetings are videoed? And if the video system's broken, you don't hold the meeting? Thank you for the question. So I think, and actually, one of the prior recommendations here, so in full transparency, not all public meetings are currently recorded. City Council is recorded. What I will share is that um, out of, uh, I'll say paranoia, I record in four different places. Uh, just to make sure that I have a recording of that, but yet you are correct in that if technology, for example, as we like to say, is a gift, but if technology doesn't work, it doesn't present us from moving forward with the meeting. So in the event, for example, that the recording was not working, I imagine that the meeting would go on, but uh, what I would say is that in order for the recording to not be working in four different uh, areas, for example, I would imagine we would probably have a power outage or something that would prevent us from broadcasting as well because we broadcast live on cable channel as well, which we would then make a consideration of whether or not to proceed with the meeting. But I imagine you would also switch from action minutes to probably full minutes at that. <laughs> huh? uh, we don't have a protocol in place for it now, uh, and so I, I, I'm not certain how I would handle that situation. What we've done in the past prior to having the ability to record the meetings uh, video is a, an, audio, an audio recorder. So I would, and I have an audio recorder in my box right now in case something with the recording uh, went now, then I would have an audio recording of the meeting and I would post the audio recording of the meeting. Uh, and those are battery operated. So I would think that we, we should be good. Right now all meetings are recorded, just not video recorded, but those meetings where the video is not recording, we, we do have an audio recording. In my past life, I used to be a deputy city clerk, and I used to get to stop the meeting and flip the cassette tape. I would tell everybody, <laughs> and then I would, <laughs> so, <laughs> can tear you up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, 22, I'm sorry. I like it because it's going to fill in a poll section if we do 22. <laughs> 22, it's, you know, that little gap. Um, but we do have emergency generators, right? We do. Okay, so there <laughs> you go. Um, 22, delete presentation length language for staff presentations. Um, I'm assuming that's the justification. So delete presentation length language, is that specifically for staff presentations or is that all presentations? 
uh, that's for staff presentations. Under the existing protocols, it says that the length of staff presentations will be commensurate with the complexity of the item being presented. So um, presentations will strive to be concise while providing city council with the information necessary to make an informed decision. That means nothing. Um, and so we, we thought it might be clear if the, we just allowed the mayor and the council to work with the city manager on, on impacting the length of staff presentations. Because that's practically what happens. Right. And, and we can't say a five minute presentation because there are some items yep. like the budget that are mm -hmm. much longer. Right. C could you say a, like not to exceed 40 minutes or something like you know just it just seems like having a complete presentation beforehand for everyone to review would be much more efficient than sitting there waiting for them to fill in all the gaps and the questions that people have sometimes that you would have to ask the city manager to ask them to have them clarify it so kind of kind of push them to be really concise about items instead of <laughs> not going for so long and have it complete before the actual presentation um, so people have time to review it as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, we can certainly, I mean, if the committee wants to cap the staff presentations, we can certainly and do then, whatever you, know, you like want. And then, you know, the mayor could have, you know, the authority to extend it if it, yeah. you know, obviously. Well, and I, and I would just share that administratively, in addition to the council protocols, we're also looking at our administrative policies, internal policies around staff presentation, staff reports, uh, and all of that. If I had my way, uh, I would say eight slides or less. That's not so favorable uh, yet. But Second. I, but, I, <laughs> but I could tell you that, uh, just to, to share anecdotally, that we are currently working on this. Uh, we've, we've heard loud and clear from both council staff, the community, that we are looking at our presentation process in general. And so I, I would just share that we are currently looking at that. It is, it could be something that lives in the council protocols. Uh, it could be something that lives in the administrative policy, but I, I share your concerns. Okay, that was, that was it for that. Thank you. Will the public get input on administrative policies? There's always a process by which I, I imagine that when, when these uh, protocols, for example, come back to City Council uh, or here in this committee, if there's a continued conversation around that, that could be raised at that point as well. Typically, administrative policies remain internal, uh, but what I can share is similar to the administrative policy around the publication of our agendas. You know, As you know, we used to publish our agendas the Friday before a meeting, and now we are eight days. Uh, in advance, and same with minutes. Minutes, we were a year and a half behind, and now minutes are posted, draft minutes within 24 hours. So I would say that the administrative policies are in line with those types of recommendations. Yeah, yeah please. I, I would like to ask that we include in the protocol that the council get the slides of a presentation two days before a meeting or at least 24 hours before a meeting, Get, getting it all up front when often it doesn't exactly match the staff report makes it more difficult for us to make a decision immediately after the presentation. So, 
Yeah, and I, I appreciate that recommendation uh, as well. I think one of the challenges that we, we internally uh, discuss is in the instance of an emergency item, for example, or uh, in, in, the, you know, in the situation where we find out critical information, for example, uh, would that then, if we had a protocol that said that we couldn't do that, for example, what would be the process by which we would be able to? So in a, in a situation of an emergency, for example, the Brown Act does provide the ability for items to be added to the agenda the night of uh, if they meet certain qualifications. We've done that once, I think, in the past year. If that situation come up, it would require us to then suspend the protocols, for example, um, and and figure out a way by which we'd be able to receive that that presentation what what if the protocol said to the extent possible slides will be provided along with the staff report 24 hours before a meeting or or something that recognizes that you do have sudden additions to an agenda or I have a little concern about it because Oxnard operates that way uh, through their and their meetings get extended uh, because of all the questions that, that come up because they they lock their they actually do their presentations by video a couple days in advance. Um, I, I don't know anything about Oxnard. I just know it's very difficult for me no, to come into a meeting and have a stack of slides to go through with each presentation. And I apologize, but too often it is not accurate when you compare it to the staff report we were given in the agenda previous to, to the meeting. And so I would like to see it beforehand so I could formulate my questions intelligently. That's, that's what I'm asking for. And, and Mr. Chair, I, I'd be hesitant. Uh, uh, now, of course, it's if it's the direction of the committee, I'd be hesitant to make a determination like that without the city manager, just given that the city manager uh, really is 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 the person who's responsible for that with staff. Um, what I what I would add is that when I when I talk about our supplemental process. I think that we could have a more developed process by which supplemental information is provided to council after the agenda is published, which I think in many instances uh, there's this there's this uh, misconception that or the the appearance of new information, for example, being presented at the the presentation. One of the uh, I don't want to say downfall because I, I I like publishing eight days in advance. One of the downfalls to it is is that eight days in advance, eight days is we could receive a lot of questions. So I think staff finds themselves trying to address those questions that they get throughout the week and over the weekend in the in the staff report. Now, if we had a, a more developed and robust process by which folks could submit supplemental materials, and staff has a more prescribed process by which they can provide updates on items in between the agenda, I think that might be a, a resolution to the lack of information or providing information uh, at, at the last minute, but I, I would just you, you know, be hesitant not really having that full conversation without the city manager here in regards to what day uh, that looks like in providing those. But what I would say is that it, it, you know, staff has heard loud and clear uh, that we could be doing better with the, our timing of our presentations. Thank you. And can I add from the public's perspective, um, I agree. 
because sometimes there's new information and we've made up our comments, et cetera, and now we don't have a chance to react either. So not only would it be helpful for city council, but certainly it would be helpful for the public. So I'm gonna come to that. So I'm gonna, I just wanna finish 22, which I don't think quite related with what you were uh, saying. So uh, do we have a motion on, or are we good with 22? I'm good with 22. Yeah. And we can come back to your, because I think you're, you're, you're making it about getting the, the presentations early. That's, a, that's not what 22 is about. For me, they kind of go together. Well, I, I think they're, they're tied together. I just don't, I don't, but it's not the, 20, the 22. So if you're good with that, we'll, we'll, let's talk about the presentations as a, as a separate item. Okay, so you're, are you okay with 22 as recommended? Okay, and then in, in terms of the question of getting the presentations early, uh, that, that's your, uh, you're, you're saying you want it the Friday before? Yeah. When would you want the present? At least 24 hours. So, the Monday, so you would want it at the end of business on the Monday, the, the staff for the presentation. Yeah, the, the presentation, yeah. The deck, the slide deck on it. So I, I guess my, my one question is kind of where they are. Why wouldn't the city manager provide you, if, if you wanted it, or any council member, the slide deck on Friday? Is there anything that would, if, if any council member said, I want the slide deck on uh, five o'clock on Monday? That would be a conversation between. Is there any reason that the staff wouldn't provide that slide deck? I guess is my first. Uh, what I could share is I can't imagine the staff wouldn't provide the PowerPoint. Uh, however, as the process is currently, oftentimes staff is making those final revisions mm -hmm. to the presentation uh, the day of the meeting. Right. I, and I, I get that. I mean, that would be my question would be so if you asked for the slide deck at five o'clock on Monday, they, they send you the slide deck. For each, let's say there's three of them. You get all three of them. I guess the risk would be that staff is still going to change. Oh, I think. Well, well, I remember I just recently though we we ended up with information that we had in our in our staff report, and then all of a sudden we we look at wait a minute, this doesn't, I don't, I don't recognize this and stuff, but it was because they, they received new information and then they had to create new slides uh, and new, and they put new information in. I know that's rare, but I mean, maybe it's not rare, I don't know. I just think they owe us the information as soon as they have it. I think it should be published in the agenda. I think council should have access to it and the public should have access to it more than in the middle of the meeting. And, and I wouldn't see a problem with providing it 24 hours in advance in a posted supplemental packet. And staff could just identify at yeah. the meeting if these, this is a new slide or this is a revised slide or something like that. Okay. I just want to, so when you say um, approve it as recommended, so just delete the language and it allows for that. So where there's currently language and it's vague, 
There would just be nothing on presentations whatsoever? They're, no, they're, it's going to go into a administrative policy. Okay. On it. So it's, it's, it's just removing the vague language it out of the protocol. just removes anything about presentations. And it, it becomes part of the administrative, administrative. procedures. Yeah, right, right now, as the city attorney indicated, the language there is very vague. So we could, of course, the committee can make a recommendation to uh, further define that language or remove the language. Okay. I just what I'm saying is we, we, we'll move it to the uh, administrative policy. Okay. And we'll be the guiding. That'll be noted when you do this, because right now it just says delete it, the report and then, okay. th then it's just gone. Right. So without any direction. I think it's a staff report if you happens. could note that yeah. the, it'll be found in the administrative policy. And then anybody can re re request copies of the. That's right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So the question on the table, I think, is the getting the slide deck out, the the close of business. Well, I, I guess so I would leave it up to the city clerk in terms of when you would want to send out the supplemental because it's not. I don't want to keep you guys here after five because you're waiting for the slide deck to go. Thank you. <laughs> so. <laughs> I haven't published an agenda past five yet because I re refuse to. Okay. Um, so we could add a number 29 then, for example. Is yeah. that what you're thinking, add a, add a new one? Yeah. We'll send out the slide deck uh, with the first supplemental packet. And then they could just note if the slides are contained are different slides or at the at the meeting yeah. itself they could indicate whether or not a slide There's is different from what was provided bit, yeah. okay okay and so a staff presentation should be in, uh, included in the first supplemental packet the first currently the first supplemental packet goes out four o'clock the day of so do we i leave that up to with councilmember compass the day of the meeting the first supplemental goes out at 4 p.m. the day of the meeting. The only time we release a supplemental uh, earlier than that is if we have a large number of comments, then we want to get those out as soon as possible. So we, we will release multiple if we're receiving a high volume. Otherwise, generally, as it states currently, 4 p.m., all communications have to be received by 4 p.m. to be submitted in the supplemental packet. Now, again, what I'll share is Internally, I'm looking at that supplemental. The way that I envision it going, for example, is having a supplemental one, supplemental two, supplemental three, a supplemental one in advance of the 4 p.m., you know, maybe uh, on a Wednesday or a Thursday, and then uh, a supplemental the day of, and then a supplemental the day after. So generally, the supplemental packet comes out around 4 p.m., and we're going into closed session. And uh, thank you for that, because that's actually something I needed to bring to the committee, is that our protocols say that the supplemental will be published at 4, and we need to adjust that for 3 p.m. given our early start time. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Or perhaps at 2. Or whatever time the committee Because sees then fit. we have yes. time to actually digest it before the, please. The supplemental packet, though, is the emails we've already received, and you're just putting them in a packet. Well, it's a combination because some folks use the at council email address, which goes to all of you. Some submit an electronic speaker card, which doesn't go to you, and some submit directly to the city clerk, which doesn't go to you. So we're compiling all three of those avenues into one. But if folks are sending it to the council email address or CCing everyone, then you get it, but you don't get all of them. And that's the purpose of the supplemental is to capture what's not being sent to council. It seems like since you've moved the meetings to Tuesday that uh, having a supplemental sent out sometime on Monday 
would make a lot of sense because that would capture everything that was sent in over the weekend. I mean, if you want to do one before the weekend, that'd be great. The more the better, actually, from the public point of view. But that way you would get everything that's come in over the weekend um, by end of business, say, or early, midday Monday, and you'd have all Monday night to review it for Tuesday, along with the public viewing the same thing. And then if you had a supplemental that came out the day of the meeting, that should be a short, relatively short supplemental, I would think. Yeah, and I think that, that that could work. And so, for example, if we were to say that staff presentations be included in the first supplemental, then we could also clarify that the first supplemental is at 3 p.m. the Monday before the meeting, if, if that was the desire of the committee. I, I could see that as a, a achievable and a, a good recommendation. Does 3 p.m. work then? So what we'll say is the first supplemental packet. I would actually packet. prefer not to leave a time. Uh, okay. I would, I'd, I'd leave it to your. So we'll we'll have the first supplemental be released on Monday prior to the council meeting. Then, okay. That way. May I ask a Take you out to dinner. They can, so you go later, they can do that. <laughs> May I ask a clarifying question on 22 again? I'm sorry. Uh, the, the, since we're you're directing us to move the language into the APMP, there's another paragraph to that that says, for closed sessions, presentational links depend on the circumstance. Staff will present a recommendation followed by the report and the recommendations again. It, with the committee's approval, I would like to just eliminate that second paragraph. It would, you know, links depend on the circumstance would be similar to the other language. Yes. Um, and we don't always do recommendation, report, recommendation. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we'll eliminate the uh, presentation length language for closed session. Yeah. Did you pick one? Uh, just real quick on a prior one, real quick. Um, I'd like to see the supplemental come out for the staff report on the Friday prior to the Tuesday meeting, because that way all the public can review it over the weekend, anybody else can review it. And if there's any follow-up on that, have that dealt on Monday. And then if you have a last minute, you do it the final one on Tuesday. Because what happens, people have the weekend to review it. If you send it out like on two o'clock or three o'clock on a Monday, any comments that are made off of that supplemental are going to have to come out at 3 o'clock or whatever time it's set up on Tuesday, which means council won't be able to have a look at it. The public really won't have time because a lot of people are working. They don't have time to vote Monday night to review everything, where if it's set out, the actual reports that are sent out for the staff reports on a Friday night, people have all weekend to do it. They can put their comments in. Any of the questions that come up can be addressed on Monday. That can be addressed at that time. And that's what I think would be good. I'm going to call your comments aspirational. And I think we would love to get there. <laughs> but I think if we can just, yeah. And I think Fridays present us with a challenge because yeah, we're we closed every other Friday. Yeah. So then it defers to Thursday, and then we, may, we, we might not have the materials. So Fridays tend to be a bit challenging for us, just given the, the alternates. So you're saying you want to just be open every Friday? <laughs> and the and the um, the staff reports are in the agenda. It's the slide presentation yeah, that's, that's not. Do. So okay, uh, if we're not going to do that, I'm going to jump back to item number one. Uh, Mayor will have full discretion to reorder the agenda. Um, I don't have an issue. Yeah, currently there's this yeah. weirdness about voting to move it. Yeah, and restructuring. So this will just give the mayor the flexibility to reorder things if necessary first. Mm -hmm. And our, our public, we had the prior protocol that said anything that was continued, for example, had to yep. be heard first, and the mayor didn't have the ability to reorganize that. So this is just clarifying that the agenda can be reordered. 
Okay, I think we, we got three yeses there. We've done two and three, four. This is just clarifying. Yeah. This is what we just voted on, right? Right. Yep. Yeah, okay. Nine, if there is a conflict between Rosenberg and the protocols, the protocols will control. Currently, Rosenberg's, which is the kind of the general meeting um, procedure, right. it, it currently um, trumps the protocols, but the protocols are more specific and, and uh, may address items that are not specifically laid out in the Rosenberg's, or if they are, it's a more general statement. For example, under Rosenberg's... The master document. Sorry? The protocols yeah. are the master document. Yep. Are you for, for example, okay with for example, the, the master document? I want the example. Okay. For example, the Rosenberg says that you can set aside the rules for a two, with a two-thirds majority. The protocols say a, a majority. So we always had this discrepancy between the two documents. This would clarify that if there's a discrepancy like that, the protocols would, would rule. Uh, the pre a previous we recommendation. Changed we actually changed everything to two thirds. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Okay. Okay. Uh, item eleven. The league council members will generally refer to persons as Mr. and Miss or Miss, following uh, by surname. This is really just in, in alignment with uh, gender neutral municipal code and potential charter amendment for gender neutral. It's creating a more inclusive space in City Hall. What you what you have here is by uh, having to identify people by surnames, you could find yourself in a situation where you've misgendered somebody. And so it's just creating a more inclusive City Hall and our recommendation across the board is to remove gender in our official kind of communications. Okay, we're good with that. Item 14, this one's a long one. Council members may make presentations during, oh, this is so, this is saying that the council member has to get the presentation to you. It seems long, it's actually just that right now the protocols say that I have to receive the presentation by noon. Um, and so I really am okay with receiving it an hour before to provide a little bit more flexibility. What it also says is that now that we have the ability to screen share, for example, if a council member wanted to join the meeting remotely and screen share their presentation, then I don't need it in advance. But there's, there's been this conflict where it says that I need the PowerPoint presentation by noon, uh, and then I uh, oftentimes don't receive them by noon, so this just provides a little bit more flexibility because I, I just need the ability to test the PowerPoint yeah, in sure the room. Works. Exactly. Okay. I'm good with that. So you said we could join the meeting remotely even though we're sitting in the room yep. to screen share, yep. and that won't cause any problem electronically? If, if everything was muted, for example, or if a council member, I think the reason why we included that is since the council member have the ability under new legislation to participate remotely, for example, okay. in the case of just cause or an emergency circumstance, that they would have the ability to share their screen. If they didn't send it to me in advance, they would still be able to share their screen. That's why we provided okay. that, that language. Thanks for clarifying. Okay, 16. I can explain this. Yeah, <laughs> so on quasi-judicial, what we're calling now due process hearings, um, you oftentimes have to make findings to support your the council's decision one way or the other. So um, staff 
typically prepares, a, there's a recommendation and they'll prepare a resolution which will be consistent with that recommendation and will make certain findings. City Council may decide to go a different direction with that project. And so what the protocols provided for was this motion of intention where the council would vote on a motion saying, we want you to come back with another resolution that captures these findings and this decision. Uh, and then that would be agendized for another meeting and then it would come back. Um, practically, I, th I think what works just as well is if the council, and what we've typically been doing is if the council is clear about what, what decision they want to make and what those findings are on the record, we revise the resolution to capture the findings and the decision that council um, made at the, at the dais and then just have it executed in that form. So it just saves it saves a meeting and and in the case of just housing up projects, the times specifically. yeah exactly you could do this right there on the at the fly mm -hmm. correct okay everybody comment yep please <laughs> um, on its surface that sounds great but sometimes um, they they didn't make the findings because they couldn't and they need more data. I don't think it requires that they, you have to, you could still. You could still have it you come still yeah, back. You can still have it, yeah, it just, if it doesn't need to, they, they can do it right there. Ooh, 17, this one's. So currently under the protocols, the, the only reason why a council member can abstain is if they are not present um, or because they have a conflict of interest, or if they, if they have a conflict of interest. So the question here, and there, there was not a, a recommendation. suggestion or one way or the other, but does the council want to allow abstained votes if a member is public uh, in presence? So maybe they don't want to make a vote on it. And this question has come up uh, several times over the past year. And w w I guess my, I'm sorry, let me defer to my colleagues first and I'll. Oh, I was wondering what, every, what the other cities do. I was gonna ask what other jurisdictions it, it, from my experience anyway, in, in the jurisdictions that I've been in and the jurisdictions that I've uh, asked about this, that uh, abstaining is, is always an option. I would say in my experience, that is also what I've noticed. And I. Okay. Comments? You want to let council members abstain or you want to make everybody vote? I do want to just clarify, though, that an abstention doesn't change the quorum. So sometimes there is confusion around if they abstain, does it change the quorum or does it change the no? Essentially, an abstention is the same as a no vote, just in a different form. Yeah, please. So I think this is like the Lori Brown decision. This was when she got to participate in communications and then when it came time for a vote, for the police department, she was politically able to use that. I think, I just feel uncomfortable with that. I mean, if if you're gonna abstain, be out of the room completely, don't even participate. I can see how this can be used politically in a very bad way. The one thing I'll add is that I think the electronic voting, I, I agree that abstentions, and I think, you know, as Mr. Overly noted, that's why this is currently listed in the protocols. I think that when we've transitioned to electronic voting, 
uh, since you don't know, for example, who's going to abstain in advance or who's going to vote no or yes, I imagine the political pressure uh, does get uh, intense as it you know makes its way down in a voice vote, for example. Uh, with electronic voting, I think that that eliminates that a little bit. I would say, too, that there's nothing that stops a council member from participating in an item and then getting up and leaving um, during the vote, which I think has probably happened as well. So it, it probably be better, I mean, it might be better for the council to go on the record on what they're, either the yes or no, or I, I don't want to participate. Yeah, I, I've, I've experienced at least twice uh, where a council member has left the room. Now, I, I can't confirm that they left the room to not vote on the item, but they were absent for a vote. But when we talk about a conflict of interest, we, we, we can't even be in discussion. You would have to that. continue to That's abstain right. and leave the room. You can't participate at all. So if somebody knows they're going to abstain, though, like why would they be in that discussion? It, it wouldn't be... Well, the, the, uh, an abstention without a conflict of interest does not preclude you from staying in the room. So you would still stay in the room, but say, for example, you felt really strongly about not taking a position. An abstention is an ability to be able to do that. It's, it's a not taking a position on something. Hmm. My recollection, though, is if a council member isn't in the in the council chambers, you can't do an electronic vote, right? Uh, we can. I have to mark them as absent. So in in the past, there was uh, what I'll say is there was a, a challenge with uh, the technology in the room and and maybe staff not fully understanding how to use the technology, but the ability is there to be able to do that. So we just have to mark them in the system as absent, and then they can do a, an electronic vote. Yeah. What do you think? I like that we make everybody vote. <laughs> so uh, it, I, it is out of step, though. It is, I mean, I, I do realize that you do have a, you know, it's kind of like some of the conversations we had regarding your forcing speech, right? Can you really, can you really force them to take a vote? On it. Our protocol says you do, but I don't know if we were challenged, we would lose, that's my guess. On it. If a council member truly felt strongly that they didn't want to vote and they didn't and then sued us, we would, I'm guessing it would be a difficult position. I'm gonna ask Mr. Freeman. I'm, I'm, I think I'm with you, Mr. McReynolds, or Council Member McReynolds. Um, I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth, but also when you run for office, I think you take that responsibility to represent your constituents. And by bailing out with an abstention, uh, that's kind of like uh, playing chicken, running away. That, uh, you know, I, I elect you and you're elected to take a position. And if you can't take that position, I mean, it might come back in the next election, but you know, what if it's three and a half years from now, so. Well, and I, I would just use this example of a council member, for example, wanting to abstain from a vote for a personal relationship. That's not a financial conflict of interest identified under the financial conflict of interest code. And so right now, for example, uh, if we were to apply the protocols, if that's not a financial conflict of interest, then the council member really wouldn't be able to abstain on that vote. And so that has come up uh, in the past, for example, and a council member uh, might feel there was a, a, another one of our, our council members in the, 
the past year received a political contribution from someone that was coming before one of the committees for consideration uh, for ARC. It's not a defined conflict of interest, and under state law they would be able to vote on that, but they felt that they wanted to abstain from, from public perception. In our current protocols, they're not, they don't have the ability to do that. If they don't have a defined conflict of interest, then our protocols say that they have to vote. So I would refer to those type of, of instances as well where it provides a little bit more flexibility should a council member feel that they, they have too good of a personal relationship with someone, for example, or another reason for public perception that might prevent them from wanting to be able to vote on something. They don't have that ability to do that now. But that just, yeah, that just happened where somebody got up, they said, oh, I, I have a personal relationship but they weren't involved in the discussion or anything. Well, and I think the, the reality of it is is that we want the ability for the council members or a recommendation is, is that the council members you know, should have that flexibility, right? And so under our current protocols, uh, it, it says that if there's no conflict of interest, they shouldn't abstain. We didn't stop the council member from abstaining because again, if, if a council member wants to abstain for something like that, I, I can understand why there would be a perceived conflict that you would want to abstain for. So, I, you know, I would argue that, of course, we look to the political not wanting to make a decision, but there's a whole other side of it as well, where we have the issue of public perception and a council member who might not want to proceed in a vote because of that. I guess where I'm having the challenge is that if you're gonna abstain from a vote, then I don't think you should be involved in the conversation. That, that's, what, that's the pro challenge I'm having. So if, if we're gonna allow someone to abstain, then they shouldn't be, they shouldn't have input in that conversation. That's, that's what I feel. I was going to say essentially the same thing. If they participate in deliberations, they should be required to vote. If they don't participate in deliberations, So that could be our maybe. recommendation in the, I mean, you're not making it, but if you're going to abstain, you got to, you got to Well, leave. and I think the idea of the abstention allows them to participate in the discussion and still vote by registering an abstention. No, that's yeah. voting. So I think that's kind of the idea that they would still participate in the conversation and an abstention is a vote, so they would still be voting. No, I, I understand what you're being. Um, but also, don't you first ask questions and then you discuss. So perhaps this person is helping clarify by asking questions and then they realize they need to abstain but maybe not participate. They shouldn't be allowed to discuss it if they're not gonna vote on it and they have some sort of conflict. But I would think during the question period, maybe that would help them clarify whether they need to. So maybe they can participate in the questions and then they have to excuse themselves at that point. I'm with Mr. or Council Member Duran. Um, if you're going to abstain, but you take part in deliberation, are you potentially influencing you the are, other the other absolutely. votes? You are, <laughs> um, you know, to go your way and then go, oh, I have a conflict on what I'm out, but I've already said my, I've already pushed. You don't have to have a people. conflict. You're just going to say I'm out. You don't even have to. <laughs> but just you know, you've already you've already yep. kind of pushed your your opinion, and so that conflict could, that Michael brought up could still be present, and then you abstain. Well, and there's a difference, I think we're getting things a little muddled here. There's a difference between uh, having a conflict of interest, either a financial, actual conflict of interest, or even a perceived conflict of interest where you say, well, I'm you know, friends with this person, so I'm going to abstain. I think you should leave, you should leave and not participate at all. Um, you, by law, you're required if you have an actual conflict, you can't participate at all. Um, 
if you're not aware of the conflict and you get into questions and you realize, oh crap, I have a, oh, I shouldn't say that, oh shoot, <laughs> I, have, I have a conflict of interest, then I think at that moment you need to say, I need to abstain, right. I have well, a conflict say, of interest for this purpose. I think Hagelin, what, I realize right. this, I've, I've, I need to right. excuse myself because I have a conflict of that. Under the current protocols though, it says any council member present at a meeting when a question comes up for a vote must vote for or against Fair the question name. unless they're disqualified. So the question is, does the committee want to allow them to say yes, no, or I just abstain without identifying a conflict of interest? The, there are instances where the person might not have the full knowledge of the item. For example, when I first joined council, I think the January after we were all assigned to committees and commissions and different things. It's so my first meeting at the Animal Services Commission. They gave us minutes from the previous meeting and I abstained from that vote because I hadn't attended and they were very basic minutes so I couldn't learn anything from it. So I abstained from voting on that. Sometimes things like that come up and there's not gonna be a big discussion but in good conscience, I couldn't say yes or no, those minutes were correct. At the same time, the same thing happened with another commission I'm on, but I saw egregious errors in the minutes. So even though I was going to abstain from the vote, I pointed out the, the errors that were clear. Part of it was grammatical structure, but some of it was um, clear based on the purpose of the agency. We have that concern. I think you're using it properly. I, I think everybody's concern is the politics. <laughs> using well, I, it for political I know, but, yeah. but I don't think that, I'm, I mean, maybe our council are very political. I don't see that happening on our council. I understand. I mean, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's all councils. Yeah, it, that's the, the challenge, so, on it. I can tell you where I am on it. Uh, I like that we make everybody vote. I, I mean, that my mind hasn't been changed, yes or no. Uh, I would be willing to make the recommendation, but I think we should put it before the full, the full council on this question. But my recommendation is to keep it as, as is. But I think we're probably on some shaky legal ground, because if somebody wants to abstain, I think technically the law lets them. I think anyone should be allowed to abstain. They just shouldn't be in the deliberations. That's, that's my feeling. Well, they could affect, if I may, they could effectively abstain by just walking out of the room when the item is called. I think what this is designed is to say, well, I'm gonna participate, but politically, I don't wanna go on the record as voting yes or no. There's enough votes, yeah. yes, no, I don't I, wanna go on the record, whatever, so I'm gonna abstain. It's the gamesmanship that we're all concerned yeah. about. It's not the. That's, I think, kind of where the, the where the issue comes up. Yeah, that's the that's the rub is the gamesmanship. It's not the it's not the example that you use, which is very reasonable, justified, and. <laughs> so, yeah. so if you jump from this to number eighteen, that's where you're going to see the way this can be used politically. We would have to we would have to clarify eighteen to make sure that it's you're exactly right. You could wait and see if there's a tie and then come back in and say I'd like to request a revote. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. We'd have to clarify eighteen. Yes. 
my inclination is to leave it as is. Um, but I, I feel like we should, we should in the staff report when we bring this forward, maybe it's a point of discussion amongst the full, the full council. Oh, you know how I feel. Yeah. I mean, do you <laughs> want to do that? Or That's we, fine. So we say, okay. Perhaps, yep. perhaps bring it to the full council with the recommendation that, um, you know, first the, the disclosure that you can't really force someone to vote freedom of speech. We might get sued. And then um, if you know you're going to abstain, you know, just kind of, yeah, you got to get out. Um, but it, and then, you know, in maybe halfway through the presentation, you, you realize something and then you have to get out. Yeah. But, right, that's um, a different, I mean, that's a scenario where you're like, oh, I'm, I'm conflicted, right. I need to, yeah. I need but, to, yeah. yeah. Have some recommendations when you oh, go I, to the full council. I agree, I think we can, if we can put that into the, but if, the staff report. I think, uh, you know, a little emphasis on the just leave the room if you know you're not gonna vote. Okay, and then you'll match 18 to that? To well, I think I think 18 is a separate item. If mm -hmm. you were going to allow for abstaining, then we would need to change 18 to make it clear that if you're if you abstain, you if you abstain, then you can't come back and later say, "Oh, I'd like to request a revote under 18." Yeah. 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 So 18 18 has happened before, mm -hmm. uh, where a council member uh, was late to the meeting, an item was was heard, it was a tie vote, and he requested a re-vote under this provision. So this has happened. I think the reason we put it here was just to make it clear that it has to be during the same meeting uh, that the initial vote was taken. If the, if the council wants to take a different direction and allow it to be at a different meeting or later on, I think they could. I think it's probably not recommended because it's, we, you need some finality yeah. on decisions and it'd probably be a nightmare for the clerk as well. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, that, that's why we brought it up. It's just, it, it currently I think is the way it should be, but if the council wants to change it. I would say we'd leave it. And it, there's nothing that would prevent a council member from calling the city clerk, the city manager, city attorney saying, I'm running late, I really wanna talk about, I mean, we just gave the mayor the option to reorder the agenda and say, I'm gonna, you know, I'm 15 minutes late, please don't do item four or whatever, you know, I, I think, Again, with the technology, we need to take advantage of it. And that's what we're trying to do here. And I think if you're running late, just let them know. And like item four is really important to me or something like that. So I think we've built that flexibility in. Are you good on 19 or 18? Okay. Uh, 19. 19 and 20 kind of go together. I think what. Um, Michael and I are, are we're thinking is we, we need to simplify, if we can, the, the public hearing process, or make it clearer, I guess, what the process is, and then make all of the, um, the processes for, action, for formal items, for due, for process, due process hearings, make them as consistent as we can, just so the public has, knows how the process is, and there's a bunch of question marks from one type of hearing. So what we've kind of envisioned is on a due process hearing, the mayor would open the public hearing, staff would give their presentation, the applicant and or appellant uh, would make their comments, 
Uh, we may need to adjust this language a little bit given the most recent situation where we had an appellant and an applicant, and they both, it, it was complicated. Uh, we do need to make sure there's some guidance for that process. Um, and then council questions of staff and the applicant appellant, and then public comments, we would make that similar to every other public comment rule. I think we talked about this early on. We wouldn't have yep. a different- There was a set of rules all be the same consistently. Uh, and then the applicant and appellant would have a rebuttal. Then final council questions and then the public hearing would be closed and the council would deliberate. Uh, that's kind of how it's set up now. The, the, the challenge then comes from number 20 because this, this happens, if, if you think about it, the, the, like in a court, I think is the best way, the, the court gathers all the evidence and then closes his, his or her mind to that evidence. I have all the evidence packaged up, now I'm gonna make a decision. That's kind of the due process that we're going for here. And, and what happens then is you, you open the public hearing so that you gather all the public comment and then you close it, there should be some finality and then the council can make a decision. But what ends up happening is when you get to council deliberations, council members say, oh, I wanna, can I ask so-and-so a question? Can I ask so-and-so a question? Which is, which is fine, we understand why that needs to happen, but then it gets into this, well, I need to ask the developer this question because, you know, can we impose this or are they willing to, to say this? Well, then you've got members of the public who say, well, I, I didn't get a chance to, you know, comment on what they just said and, and, and the process is the more and more we talked about it, the, the more and more muddled it became. There does not seem to be a perfectly clear way on how to do it. I think the current way that we do it where we reopen the public hearing and then close it again, that's kind of meaningless. It's just language to reopen and close. I think it's better to just, uh, and, and I think the way it's worded is to specifically say that the council members may only ask questions, but the responding party cannot use that as an opportunity to advocate again. But again, you're getting into the, you know, parsing language and how that goes, no matter who's, who's responding. So those are just our observations. We, we really searched and searched and thought on how to do this better. Not sure that there is a better way, unless we just make it clear that questions are supposed to be limited and then it's supposed to be shut off again. I, I think also perhaps we should put all the public comments at the end and not have the rebuttal after that. Let the, let the council do all of their questions and then let the rebuttal happen and then let the public comments happen without the appellant or a, appellee coming back up. Their concern is the Q&A if mm -hmm. the council yeah, wants to. I don't think that would do the process because then they made their presentation. The public's now commented. They should have an opportunity to respond to that as part of the decision process. And, and council might uh, be influenced by public comment, for example, and they would have already closed it. So if they heard public comment last, we'd find ourselves in a situation of a council member wanting to respond to a public comment reopening. And that's the idea of us trying to look at the, the steps of order, as I'll call them, for each item is, you know, go staff presentation, go public comment, and then so that way that the applicant and appellant, for example, can hear the public comment as well case they want to address anything in theirs and there's no no issues new issues being raised 
But generally, the council doesn't ask questions of the people making public comment, right? They might not ask questions of them, but they may be influenced by them. And so that might change, for example, council deliberation, which at that point we would have already closed the questioning period. Okay. And so say, for example, a question was raised from the public that a council member then wanted to ask the developer, you'd find yourself in a situation of reopening to be able to go back to ask those questions. Okay, thank you. So I, I think just once you guys enter into deliberations, it's done. You're the jury. You don't get to come back and have readback or anything else. I think holding to the protocols, the one thing that's frustrating for me and my wife as citizens here is when we say, hey, let's suspend the protocols and then do something completely different. And that's super frustrating. I think if you have a process, once it gets to deliberations, you're done. You know, you don't get to, well, I mean, you do, we've seen it, but you shouldn't be able to suspend protocols and then move, oh, I want to ask something of the developer, but not ask something of the, of the appellant. Just for clarity, we did raise the bar to two-thirds to suspend the protocols, so, I mean. Yeah, could you imagine a jury trial, though, where the foreman of the jury says, Your Honor, I realize we have rules, but I want to throw those out and do something different. So uh, we got to have rules somewhere. I to ask a question. I mean, like, the jury. I, I, I spent, well, never, never mind. Uh, my understanding is I've never been sat, I've never been selected. Something about me rubs them the wrong way, but. Uh, <laughs> me too. Uh, <laughs> but uh, my understanding is the jury can ask questions, though, and back out and get clarifying. But it would go through the judge to make the determination, and I don't know who that judge would be when counsel's supposed yeah, to be the yeah, judge. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other challenge for us is, is in an appeal, for example, I think that there, I think it's appropriate to have an opportunity, for example, to resolve at the meeting, right? So imagine if they couldn't, for example, talk to either the appellant or the developer, we'd find ourselves having to bring items back, right? Because they'd have to take the recommendations from council, they'd have to go outside of the meeting, they'd have to work, they'd have to come back. And so the idea is, is that this, you know, in, as Andy noted, trying to figure out what the, the best way to be able to accomplish all that and the, the solution we come up with is just to centralize the process and really clarify what those different things mean. Almost like an arbitration. <laughs> this is what's gonna happen. Um, back to the time frames, you were saying these are the protocols to just respecify them, but I don't know about, about the other non-quasi-judicial items that, you know, were two minutes or 90 seconds or whatever, these time frames are hard. Like they, don't, they can't be changed, correct? Like the 10-minute appellant, the 10-minute applicant, Five-minute rebuttal, five-minute rebuttal, yeah. three minutes each speaker, and then close. Like those, those will stay the same, and those will be hard and fast. Like, not able to reduce them because there's more than right. ten speakers, so you only get a minute. I think the way that uh, that the committee had talked about the formal items, you would it would be two minutes. Uh, oh, he's, he's she's talking about the applicant and the appellate. Yeah, the heart, the, the heart's minutes. at well, the, ten the, minutes. The ten first minutes. two, yeah, yeah. the, the president. Well, talking about the ten minutes. But the then the, the public speakers after. Well, after I, I think what I would add is that we do have the flexibility. For example, in the instance of this last appeal, where there was two appeals essentially, uh, the appellant and the applicant both appealing the same item, right. we were able to work with them to say, you know, can we treat this as one appeal and give fifteen minutes each? And if everyone was amenable to it, then the time it was able to change. I don't think there would be a recommendation to reduce the public speaker time in a public hearing, but I don't think there's anything that prevents the council from being able to do that. 
the three minutes. I thought we had talked about yeah, possibly everything is the same. The, the two minutes default. Uh, if there were so for public hearing items as well, you're right. And that's the same for public. But you still get the same thing where you can have people cede you time. For so a maximum you're, you're, of nine. You always get the nine minutes. Mm -hmm. Okay, but so, not below two minutes. So yes, you're, you're right. right. That's the, <laughs> okay. the 21st, yeah. you but know, you wanted, 20 speakers. Mm -hmm. But if you can get three other people to give you, right. you, you still get nine, you can still have the nine, the nine minutes. Yeah, um, that's, so, it's, so it's consistent across all. Uh, so I think what you know what we kind of ended up with was leaving the public hearing open until the uh, until the council had the opportunity. So after the the final rebuttal period, the council would have an opportunity to ask questions mm -hmm. of the developer, of the member of the public, as routinely happens. It happens um, on a regular basis, and then the hearing would be closed. At that point, and then they would go into deliberations, yeah. and that seemed like it would work, except for, uh, as as Michael mentioned, sometimes then the council members say, as New part ideas. of the deliberation, I wonder if the developer, instead of a three foot, um, you know, height increase, would take a two foot height increase, right? So then you got to ask the developer that because the developer, you know, legally the developer may not. Um, we may not be able to impose something right. on the developer without giving them the, the opportunity. Request, it's not a right, so it's more of a request. Well, you've just you just changed the project that the public was kind of was kind of counting on. So that's where it gets a little bit sticky because they don't and, and because of housing laws, we may not be able to send this back for another hearing. We may be at the fifth hearing, and so we may not be able to bring it back again. So maybe we just handle it on a case by case basis and. And, and try to re and require the the council members to keep their questions limited I, to questions. Or I mean, I, I like your clarity and certainty. I mean, I, I think that's what we want to operate from. Is you know, how do we provide the public, the developer, the appellant, clarity and certainty? You know. Yeah, I, I agree. May I? Yeah, please. I agree. Um, the thing I'm looking at is that. It's, it's a yes or no, really. We're, we're either agreeing or disagreeing, or right? And so why are we saying, will you change this? If, like in a, in a court, if they, if they were. Deliberative process, though, too. Well, I, I mean, it just seems like if, I don't know. I mean, they're bringing it to us to make a decision whether or not we want to move on that or not. But now we're trying to create a way for them to work it out amongst themselves. I don't think we're trying to work it amongst themselves. I think we're trying to create the certainty. I think the absolute certainty is once the public hearing closes, then it's a yes or no vote. Right. And there's no more negotiation with the developer, with the members of the public. It's yes, we'll approve your project. No, we won't. That, that's, what, that's what I was getting at. That's what I was getting at. So then, um, that works except if there's a, an appeal of something, and then you talk to the, you call the developer up, and you say, "Would you be willing to go, you know, two feet instead of three feet?" Um, and they say yes. Then the appellant, who has 
created doesn't have a chance if we're not if if the appellant is not called up then they don't have a chance to respond and that seems like that's not due process at all the appellant has paid the money and done the 10 minutes and the 5 minutes but if you start negotiating i think that's what you, you know well yeah i would just say when we get to that one plate we're, yeah. we're done it's yes or no i mean we could yeah. do that early on but not at the very end yeah i mean it's just that right. if there's a negotiation to be had then the appellant be part of the negotiation. Should be part of the negotiation. So that you can't leave that out. In that setup, I would argue that the appellant is arguing, uh, is appealing the project before them, right? And so the negotiations might change that project, right. for example. And so I think that that's why uh, a lot of times the concerns, for example, you know, might be shared amongst counsel and the public, and not always the case. But I, I think that th there is that kind of ability where the negotiation is with the developer, for example. And, and I'm not suggesting that it shouldn't be with the appellant as well, but I think that that's kind of where it, it gets into an area where the appellant is appealing the project that's before them today, but then if there's a suggested recommended change, it, it kind of changes the discussion. And where it gets even more complicated is you've got a developer that you can say, are you willing to accept two versus three? You may have 25 members of the public who are opposed to the project for various reasons. You can't pull all of them and ask if they're okay with that change. So it just, it gets really muddled and it, I think we start, the more flexibility that's created in the process, the further away we get from due process. Right, I, I agree. I mean, I think it, it, I'm in favor of providing clarity and certainty but maintaining due process, you know, is, and if there's ways to clean up the language so that it's consistent, that adds better consistency, I think we're generally in favor of that, but the goal is due process, clarity, and certainty. I think council member Compost might have had some comments. So er earlier we had one of our um, attendees comment about when the protocols get suspended, and council members call up other people, not just the appellant and the appellee. And, and that has happened before as well. And these changes also shouldn't be happening once it comes to a hearing at the council. So I would like to propose in this kind of due process public hearing, there is no suspending of the protocols, that we follow it by the book, because that will also protect us from lawsuits later. I mean, council, the committee can do whatever they want. I, I, I think it would be nice. I think it's important that there be some, some escape route for, for a scenario that we're not contemplating tonight. And I think by raising it to two thirds, I think the intent is to make, you know, five of the seven, if they're all there, have to agree. Um, but. That would just be my thought, that there may be a scenario where you need to make a change, not necessarily related to the process itself, but just to some other rule in the protocol related to that hearing. But it's up to the committee. Like the, two of them, like the, the double appeal or something like that. Um, not sure if I'm off base here, but to me, like a, a public hearing, um, there's there, whether it's an appeal or not. So. I think an appeal is very special. They're appealing a very specific project or some whatever happened. Um, 
and you're there to vote yes or no. You're not there to negotiate a new deal. You're not there to change the project. If, if you say no, they're going to go back and change the project. It's not like they're not going to. Or if they have to go down two feet, then they still have to go redesign it and bring it back. So I don't think negotiating during an appeal or really any public like formal hearing where it's a due process, um, you get an outcome that wasn't even on the table when you went in. Because now, if you negotiate some new deal during the hearing, um, and, the, and one party feels like you didn't vote yes or no on the appeal or not, say, like they changed it. So now you gotta go appeal it again because they, they were, we weren't heard and spend more money to, to go back. Like if you're gonna change it, so yeah, it's, it's, you're voting guilty or not guilty or whatever. You're gonna approve one or the other, but you're not there to negotiate a new deal. That's how I feel. And it's, I don't, so what, were like the land use maps, was that, that wasn't a hearing, that wasn't due process, was it? That was just approval. Yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, because like sometimes things come up after public speakers are closed and um, like new items are, are on, like being discussed and then voted on. Um, but for due process hearings, I really think it should be stick to yes or no vote. Like, do you, do you approve the appeal or not? Do you approve the project or not? And, and if you change it, come back. But this is why we're here, and let's vote on that. that that's how I feel. Let's see how efficient I was. I was right here. So, um, yeah, I, I like what uh, Councilmember Duran said. Basically, like, it's a yes or no. You know, you came before with a very focused... This is my appeal. When you start doing the negotiation, we end up having what happened to the poor man up in the Thomas Fire area that he didn't want the person building below him to extend the ridge of his house out to a certain point. And he was probably pressured by the attorney. But what he couldn't understand is like, if I, if I send this ridge far enough out, it's gonna eventually kill your view no matter how high it was. I mean, the further out it goes, you're gonna mess up the view. And I think that's problematic with when negotiations start. And I think our mayor is a heck of a negotiator, but I don't think counsel on an appeal, that's appropriate. Okay. So if we set forward you on providing clarity and certainty, you think you could yeah, I mean, well, I guess, I guess um, what I would, how I would define that is uh, maybe after the, after the um, appellant or applicant rebut, then there's final council questions. Uh, they can ask questions of anyone in the hearing, and, but it would not be an opportunity to advocate, just an opportunity to answer questions, and then the public hearing would be closed and there would be no more questions. That's the fifth hearing on a development project. You would either have to vote yes or no. Okay. And no would mean that the development project would have to be redesigned and go back through the process. Okay. Councilmember Campos, 
Okay, we are out of items here. Uh, very quickly, uh, we had discussed it previously. Uh, did we want to make a, a recommendation on the legislative items being brought forward uh, and send this to the full council for their consideration? I think we, we decided we wanted to. I just want to verify. Okay, so we're, oh, I'm sorry. Please. No, I'm sorry, but I have. Is this on? Yes. I have Let, a. I have a request, if possible. Just on the, I apologize. I'm just. City Council protocols. Got it. Okay. So we added item number 29. 29. Hold on. Mm -hmm. I'd like to ask if we could add or somehow revise one of them so that public speaker time is no less than two minutes. I think that's what we, that, that is our recommendation. Okay. I, I want to make okay. sure that that. After the 20th speaker. Okay. We'll clarify the language. Thank you. Sure. And then um, I also want to, if it's not already in the protocols, I want to make sure that the city council protocols are the same. For example, the planning commission, the other committees, the, all the protocols should be the same. So public comes, we know what to expect. So uh, thank you for that. In our municipal code, the municipal code currently, it's not a council protocol, but the municipal code itself allows for the planning commission to adopt protocols. And so the way that we've applied these protocols, for example, is, is that they apply to council and they apply to all uh, advisory committees. There's nothing in the protocols today that precludes the council subcommittees, for example, for adopting protocols, which all council subcommittees have adopted protocols. And essentially the protocols that they've adopted uh, somewhat align uh, with these, the, the, the difference really between what was adopted and what was not is the, uh, the, the chair having the ability to identify when the speaker time should be reduced based off of the, the number of speakers. And so currently in the municipal code, it allows for uh, the planning commission. And so if that was to be changed, that would require an ordinance change of the municipal code. And the municipal code also is silent on whether or not any other committee can adopt protocols or not. So I think that that language, if the committee desired to include language like that, that, that would be a municipal code change that would have to be done through ordinance. I believe, and I'm just going off memory, but um, the protocol, the current protocols do say that uh, different commissions and committees can change protocols, but they also have to be approved by the city council. And I think that's currently where the issue is because I think the DRC and the planning commission did change their protocols, but they were never approved, but they went by the, the protocols that they came up with, which was causing a lot of uh, confusion especially on speaker time. So the, uh, uh, Ms. Friedman is correct in that the protocols do say that council has to approve any changes or any, if they're not in alignment with the city council protocols, the planning commission did that. They were approved by council uh, previously and the director, or excuse me, the design review and historical preservation committee uh, did not, but they adopted the exact same protocols as planning commission. So the interpretation was that those, those uh, protocols were approved by a prior council, that they were then applied for consistency across the three hearing bodies. And so that was the intent of staff was to again provide some consistency across the hearing bodies. And so they took those planning commission protocols and applied them to those Could two meeting we bodies. Make a recommendation to ask planning commission to revisit theirs to match 
these recommend once they're assuming the city council approves them as a, a future agenda item that they look at their protocols to, to align with the council protocols. As I, I think that's an appropriate ask of council to ask of advisory commissions. Again, I th we can ask them to revise. Uh, we would it would again require an update to the municipal code as well, though. Right, and and the HPC and the DRC as well. Yeah, yes. Historic yeah. Preservation yeah. Committee. Yeah. All of all. All, <laughs> all of yeah. But um. And currently, so even though that was the interpretation, the municipal code also states that um, after any interpretation, as soon as possible, the municipal code shall be updated with that interpretation. So even though it was interpreted, it was never fixed. So fixing it would be good. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, awesome. Like Mr. McDonald's goal is to consistency across yes, all. Yes, <laughs> Okay, so I think we are done. Oh, wait. So am I understanding properly that every time the PC changes or the DRC changes through council selecting someone new to be on that commission, do they readopt their rules or do they say, oh no, you get you a know, copy of it. Five, five PCs ago, that's what was there, so that's where we're going with? Yeah, it's, a, it's the same as the council protocol. So if, the, if this current council adopts these protocols, for example, there have been instances where there's been two councils, for example, that never amended the, the protocols. And so it's the same for the other committees that yes, uh, they would be in place. Now any commissioner, new commissioner, for example, could request of the commission itself or of staff to bring those protocols forward for a discussion. So if, if you had a council that was strongly uh, believe that speakers should get one minute, for example, then those those committees would adopt that based upon who the council is at that time. At the time, I would suggest that yes, and, and I think we could look at the history of the protocols and see that speaker time, for example, uh, has been changed almost on a four-year basis uh, for quite some time since at least I can find 1996. So yes, you're absolutely right that those would change depending on who is uh, currently sitting on council. So. Before I close this meeting, I would like to thank everybody for their time and patience uh, getting us through this process. And uh, I think it's been a deliberative, iterative process. And I think we've got a, something better than what we started with because of your involvement. And I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedules to do this. And I look forward to you speaking at the city council meeting uh, when this item comes forward uh, in, in terms of you know uh, this process. I don't know if my colleagues have anything. Just a point of clarification for that. Then the uh, legislative process is that. Are we moving that one forward? Yeah, we move that one forward. Yes. Okay. Do you, do you have any comments before we close the meeting? Yeah, I, I do. I, I wanted to first of all say thank you for all your comments. I heard something earlier today, and I want you to know that um, it, if there is a way that I could get better in what I do. I would want you to call me and say, hey, you're, you're talking way too much or whatever the, whatever the case is. I, I just think that my colleagues, I think all seven of us want to do the best job we can possibly do. And so if somebody, if one of us isn't doing something that the public, because I felt that like it was a kind of a general consensus uh, of somebody maybe rambling on too much, feel free to give us a call and let us know like, hey, I'd love to have a conversation with you. I, and I don't know if anybody's talked to that council member, but it sure would be a nice gesture just to say, hey, 
just wanted to let you know this is what what we're what I'm feeling anyway because um, we all want to do the best job we really do and so and we want to work together so anyway I just wanted to share that with you thanks and and I want to thank you all for really working through this process with us it was really a joint effort mostly because of the leadership of Councilmember McReynolds and uh, so thank you. And come back to the council meetings. They're not going to be like this, but we need you. Sure. My last comment on Councilmember Duran's is it is lonely. <laughs> uh, you often don't know if you're... So thank you. And uh, again, I want to thank uh, the city attorney and the city clerk for getting us through this process. So thank you. We are adjourned. And so uh, just for the record, so this committee, this, this body is... Uh, disbanded? I don't know. I mean, not we're as we're fired. We're fired. <laughs> so.